Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. So I just recorded an intro and realized that my mic wasn't turned on, so I'm re-recording everything. So fun times, guys. Um, anyways, so let's get right into the affiliates. Um, so this show is brought to you by audibletrial.com forward slash the sample hour. Uh, so right now what I'm reading, I just, it's, uh, born fighting by Jim Webb. It's the, it's the story of the Scots Irish. Um, been on a big kick learning about the Scots Irish. Um, so check that book out. Uh, nature's image farm.com. If you guys are interested in comfrey four and 14, Bocking four and 14, um, use code word sample and get free shipping and 10% off. What a bargain. Um, nature's image farm also currently is accepting deposits for turkeys. Uh, I got some of their, tur- I got a turkey from them last year and helped butcher. I'm going to help butcher again this year. Um, great, great turkey. I mean, it's pretty much free ranged turkey. So as, as best as you can get, um, in nature's image, right? Nature's image farm. So that was probably the worst salesmanship I've ever done. Uh, I think it's because I just had a big spiel about it and I was so disheartened because I didn't record it. Right. So anyways, if you guys also newfarmsupply.com, use code word sample, 10% free shipping on anything Grant Schultz has now. I believe currently he is selling stock for the spring. Um, so you can pre-order it now um, and he will ship it to you in the spring, I believe. But go to newfarmsupply.com, get more information. Um, and then finally, profitableurbanfarming.com. If you guys are interested, you can actually save $100 on the course itself. There's a link in the show notes. Or you can uh, just sign up for the payment plan. That's what I did. Um Moving forward, if you guys don't want any affiliates um, and you don't want any of that stuff and you just want to support the show, um, you can give me, you can either donate or contribute to the show via paypal.me forward slash sample hour or just become a patron. So for as little as a dollar a month, guys, you can get shows before they're released. So I load up a lot more episodes on there. Um, I need, I'm trying to get more consistent with it. Uh, I just need to get more. I need to build a schedule for myself we're all works in progress you know so i need to get better at some things um but yeah so before they they come out on the main feed um i'm usually about four shows ahead on patreon except for right now um i'm getting caught up so this is so i'm going to release this episode at the same time and then there's going to be about four other episodes that go up on patreon with that being said uh, I hope you guys enjoy the show. So this was the th- this is the third episode that I recorded with Hunter um, when I went up to Detroit um, last month. So I'm about a month behind on when these shows were recorded. I'm going to try to get more out. Uh, so this is the Columbus MMA meetup. So it's uh, that's Hunter Motts of Mixed Mental Arts, uh, Nate Foreman, Jeremy Hewitt, Alex Bell, David Faust, Rich Fratzel. The Good Garden Gnome, uh, Warlock, um, I can't think of what else to call him, Secret Weapon. He's, uh, you know, my, he, he helps make the dream work around here for Capital City Gardens. And um, James Miller of the Coolest Humans podcast, for, for, for some reason doesn't think I'm that cool of a human because he refuses to invite me on his show. 
he followed me and said he'd like to have me on and he'd hit me up for a date. Never has. Has had a lot more people on the Coolest Humans podcast. We discussed that in this show. I hope you guys enjoy that. And finally, there is a Ohio GSD public event this Thursday at Combustion Brewery um, in Pickerington, Ohio. So if you guys want to come have a beer with me while I'm selling produce, um, I know Greg Burns is going to come and there should be some other people coming too from the Ohio GSD crew. And uh, yeah, guys, it's it's shindig season. So let's hang out, have some brew, get to know one another, and and let's enjoy life with one another. So with that being said, guys, I hope you enjoy the show, and I look forward to bringing you more episodes soon. Okay, guys, welcome to part two. This is the third podcast of the day of Miss Mental Arts, the sample hour. And uh, I, we drove down in my hot car and we both got swamp ass and uh, delicious. It's pretty intense. We're going to do a roll call. I'm Drew Sample, host of the sample hour, and I'm here with Hunter Motts, uh, one of the lower-ranking hosts of the Mixed Mental Arts podcast. And we have another podcast host. James Miller, Coolest you, Humans podcast. I'm still waiting to be a guest on the Coolest you're, Humans. You're I'm still wondering list. why I'm not one <laughs> of the coolest humans. Because you're not humans. one of the coolest humans. Clearly. <laughs> like, it's a pretty clear humans. selection I'm, criteria. Like, excuse me, I'm sir. I'm working down the list. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get to you at the bottom. And yeah. now for episode seven and a half billion, <laughs> yeah. Drew Sample. Drew Sample. Hunter's already been on. Yeah, exactly. Nate, Nate McCabe's been on. Yeah. Merritt Boxler. That's great. I've only I've only invited you over to my house twice. I just I just scheduled Kevin De La Plant today. That's great, man. I'm I'm glad I'm so low on the fucking list, man. I'm disgusted. I'm going to pass the mic to someone else right now. To Welcome to the themselves. Uncoolest Humans Podcast Un- with Drew Sample. Uncoolest Humans Podcast with Drew Sample. How to be a fucking loser hipster. Uh, David Faust, a local Columbus resident. That's all I got. Oh, a little closer. You're like a mic sucker. You like touch it. There you go. It's just sexy. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Who am I, man? I'm rich. I'm the roommate. Well, I'm a Jesus Christ. Their podcasts don't know who the fuck Rich Fratzel is. <laughs> They're not permaculture people, Rich. Well, um, you didn't warn me. I needed a whole intro for Rich. Who I you am. just have to say your fucking name, dude. I'm Rich, Rich Fratzel. Didn't I just say that? Rich okay. the roommate. Rich the roommate. He doesn't want to say his full name. No, Rich, he, Rich Fratzel. He's still waiting to hang out with Sam Harris, and he doesn't want to be fucking tainted by. Doing a podcast with Hunter Motts, who trashed Sam Harris on Joe Rogan's I didn't podcast. Realize, I didn't realize I had to speak my full legal name for the court. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dude, you've been on my show already. You're afraid. Uh, you're like, look, Drew, if you're not accepting the coolest humans, I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely not going to say my name. Well, after I live that, with you. you just handed me a mic and looked at me i, was I said like, yeah dude you're up bud <laughs> all right so who, who's next that's you alex um i'm alex bell but i need your help drew i don't 
I don't even know why I'm here, honestly. <laughs> this is already so, a okay, so, podcast. So, so Alex Bell is here because Alex Bell was like my... So, okay, so Alex Bell is a School Sucks podcast listener. And I said, hey, dude, I'm going to have Hunter Motts on from Mixed Mental Arts. And I was assuming you listened to the episode him and Brett did together. I Yeah, I think so. He's like uh, more of a Thaddeus Russell fan, not really <laughs> Brett fan. I listen to every unregistered episode. Now, so it's it's our attempt to, to subvert the education system, okay. part of self. So you're here for that reason. Alex. Okay. Because you're a bad motherfucker. That's why. That's what some people say. Yeah. All right. You can pass the mic. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Being such a dick. My name is Jeremy Hewitt, one of the local Columbus residents and MMA goers he of is the monthly the, meetups. You're the heart of Columbus MMA. I've been told that. Yeah. And you're wearing MMA swag. The uh, only person wearing yeah. MMA swag. You're That's that represent. Wait, well, hold Jesus. on, Nate. We need to give you a microphone if you're going to talk, buddy. Uh, Nate's turn. All right. Nate Foreman, also a local. That's our pizza. Pizza. <laughs> We're going to have been pause. supplemented by pizza. Okay, so last but not least, the former white guy for hire, Nate Foreman. You want to tell that story real quick? <laughs> Why not, man? I think that's a good way it's for It's a anime. great story. All it's right, a so worthwhile story. <laughs> I've been white for 36 years, never been paid for it. <laughs> yeah. Yet. So um, I guess this is partly a cultural confession. Not really, but... Um, Lived in China for a few years, studied Chinese in undergrad. Decided to move to Sichuan province because I enjoyed spicy food, and why not? And I was taking classes at the local university, one of them, Xinan Saijing Dashue, and they, this modeling agency came, or a friend of a friend asked if this friend knew any foreigners who could be a model. I was like, all right, yeah, sure, why not? I figured I'd get an interesting story out of it, so I guess that's why I'm here. But I had no idea what to do. They said, okay, on Saturday, we're going to pick you up. Here's a speech that you're going to have to give. And I look at the speech. It's horrible Google Translate stuff that I pretty much had to rewrite it. And the speech was about wine, something I know absolutely nothing about. And apparently the, the agency was a little upset that I wasn't French, but they said, well, we'll go with it. Um, as long as you can pretend you're a Frenchman from Bordeaux, it's all good. You're not going to be, you're, you're going to be giving speech in English anyways, no Chinese. And so I dressed up in my uh, nice suit, drove with these two people out to this really tiny town. I can't even remember the name of it outside of a couple hours outside of Chengdu and just had to give a speech in English about wine, about my uh, my Bordeaux wine that I was uh, selling. Uh, it was pretty easy. It was just 10 minutes and the most money I've made for 10 minutes. And then what did you do with that wine? <laughs> so after the speech, I uh, gave a nice gambe and just down the entire glass <laughs> on stage in front of cameras and everything. But like also, weren't there specific, in specific instructions? Like you were told to not... Not let them know that you can speak Chinese. Yeah, yeah. And why was that? Um, it depends on the organization, but it, it makes it seem more authentic. Like I just got off the plane to go to this place. Did you use a French accent at all? 
I don't know how to imitate a French accent, so yeah. I just use my plain Midwestern Ohio drawl. So were you kind of like the real people, not actors, that you see on the Chevrolet commercials? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Didn't you say, too, like uh, a stra- another strategy when you were working is to pretend like you didn't speak Chinese until you heard them insult you? I, I was... Uh, I was never insulted at all, but uh, one of my bosses, he advised me, hey, sometimes it's better just not to use Chinese or let them know that you can speak Chinese simply because they might say things that they wouldn't otherwise. Interesting. Granted, I was never in any like hardcore business deals that required any serious negotiations. It was just like, hey, just an FYI. Yeah. We have more cultural confessions. We should get some cultural confessions out on this podcast. Let's do it, Nate. So right. you spill because after China, where did you move to? I, well, if you want to start from the beginning, I'm actually yeah. half Colombian. Okay, uh, my mom's from Bogota, Colombia. She's there right now. I'm very. So you, sp- of her. you speak Spanish too. I grew up because that was pretty fancy. Spanish with my mom, German with my dad. I didn't really learn English till I was like four or five. Now. My Mandarin's better than both my Spanish and German. <laughs> um, that just comes with studying it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I moved to Australia after China. I moved back here three years ago. Why'd you move to Australia? Oh, I followed a girl. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is the, the best uh, place to uh, yeah, man. get this information. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, Obviously it's, it's a cultural confessional, man. a valuable man. lesson. And, and what's the valuable lesson? <laughs> don't follow a girl to a different continent <laughs> i think that's a good lesson man yep let's get uh let's get our man david on the podcast here for a little cultural confessional you have some pretty interesting communication ideas you were so we had wanted i we'd we thought about recording the very first columbus meetup at world of beer and then i was kind of sketched out because i didn't know any of you guys and then I felt disappointed in myself afterward, and um, you couldn't come to to the podcast. But you had like, uh, what's your whole? I mean, tell so tell your little cultural confessional here, David. Well, um, yeah, I don't know where to start. Really, I guess uh, my big thing was, at least at the time when we were talking about it, it was just kind of realizing as uh, I felt much like an outsider for a lot of the entire election process in 2016, and I think that. Um, I don't know. I, my wife can attest to this. I tend to be painfully rational sometimes, uh, and that really frustrates her in a lot of instances. But, uh, I think in this sense, um, you know, just kind of reflecting on that, it was a very, um, I came to realize a lot of the, um, the media tactics that exist today. It's, you know, this idea of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, um, that, that exists to help persuade people to think a certain way. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It just became something that I was, became hyper aware of. And it got to a point where I, my painful rationalness was really just buffered by that. And that was, uh, you know, that was very difficult for me sometimes to relate with a lot of people, uh, especially, you know, talking about the election and whatnot. Cause it was very difficult. Cause I wasn't necessarily, you know, consider myself a fairly moderate person. So it was very difficult sometimes to to get on with people and have a conversation, you know, it's, it's gotten to a point now where it's almost frustrating to just sit and talk with someone, even if you agree or don't agree with them, you know, there's, 
people don't want to engage with you if you don't agree with them, and it's it's frustrating. Because I just, I generally, if I'm talking to you, I just want to seek understanding. I want to know why you think what you think, and I just want to understand that better because it'll help inform my worldview. So why not? Do you ever feel the need to troll people? No, really, no. Except every now and then, if it's one of those kind of a tit for tat thing of like, so they know how it feels in a way. But the difficult part about that is that, you know, it's very difficult to be better at someone's own game than they are, especially if that's not something you do. So I generally don't just because I just, I don't know, I don't want to waste my time. <laughs> it's a waste of time to me sometimes. That makes I gotta, sense. I got shit to do, man. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Alex, let's have you tell your story, man, because you uh, had a profound impact on Thaddeus Russell with your story. Yeah, you keep saying that. I, I was not the one who made him cry. No, dude. it doesn't matter. You still made it. It was still very inspiring. That's what I was told, man. Let's tell your story. Let's yeah. share with the MMA crowd. Yeah, so I um, I think I'm, I'll just follow the same school sucks trend because that's where. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of where I'm coming from. So it was like uh, kind of grew up in this little, it might as well have been a suburb, but it was in the middle of the fields, the cornfields of Ohio. The um, rural this little lake. Rural residential is yeah. the Ohio term for that. Rural residential. That's like the proper yeah, it's 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 the term they use when they want to fuck you with zoning. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's good to know. I'll keep that in mind. Um <laughs> Sony committees have all the power. We can get into that later. <laughs> cool. I'll be here for that one. Cool. Yeah, so I grew up in some little place like that. Um parents weren't really religious, uh, but I went to Catholic school because my dad didn't want me going to public schools. Um so kind of like little as a little kid wanted to be a firefighter and then after a couple of years of school people kept telling me I was smart and I got the good the good grades except for when I uh, had bad behavior in gym class or music class or something like that. Um eventually like middle school wanted to be a PhD then got into high school kind of came to uh libertarian ideas and uh came across school sucks podcast where someone was actually like an adult who was much older than me and uh, seemed like he knew what he was talking about was saying, hey, maybe school does suck. Maybe you don't have to go to school to get the good job to work for 40 or 50 years to get the pension and uh, live the last 20 years of your life and whatever retirement is for you. Um, so by the end of high school, I decided I was going to be an entrepreneur and that I wasn't going to college. Um, yeah. And so how old are you right now? How old do you think I am? I always counter with that. Man, you're either anywhere between 19 and 22. 19 and 22? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm 24. Okay. That's the first time I actually old got younger. Fuck. Yeah, dude. dude, you're old as I'm fuck. I'm super old. Dude, right now. it's over. Yeah. You're <laughs> almost as old as Rich. I know, dude. <laughs> Rich doesn't have a mic. That's fucked up. <laughs> Rich just waved his hand away. Yeah, he, he's not even going to respond to that shit. Rich is used to that, dude. All right. So you, so you didn't go to college. So you were how old when you found Brett's podcast? Uh, must have been 16 or 17. I actually, so I literally like started listening to that podcast from episode one. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. So I haven't heard every episode since then, but like, but you've right listened to a lot. He has over 500 episodes. Yeah. So. But the dude yeah. changed your life. You don't, once he changes your life, how's he going to top that? I know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's something that it's taken me like, um, just over the past few years trying to figure things out. Like, Oh, I knew, I knew leaving high school, like, this is going to be hard 
uh, I was smoking a lot of weed in those days. So like there was plenty of reason to be distracted and not get shit done. Yeah, man. Um, so just like a lot of wondering, a lot of wondering about things, a lot of wandering, a lot of just working shitty Waffle House kind of restaurant jobs. So what do you, what do you do now? Now I uh, I'm currently calling myself a content marketing consultant. Yeah. Um, still feel a little sketchy about that because I know how the sausage is made and it's really not that fancy. Yeah. But uh, but all that matters is that you have a skill that people value yeah. that they don't have. Yeah. And they will pay you good money for they that. Pay skill. me pretty good money for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean that's that's all that really matters though. If you have a skill set, if you if you are a white guy and you can go speak in an audience of of Chinese people and pretend you can to be French. dollars for ten minutes. Dude, he's not even white. We now minutes. know he's Latino. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. Latino. He's Hispanic white. That's what it says on the. On yeah, the, yeah. On the, but he, <laughs> he's, on, that's what <laughs> he checks both boxes. But I, I feel like his German half probably counts heavily against him in this day and age. I don't yeah. know about that. He's just like one of those exciting South Americans who you're yeah. like, oh, your family's half German. Where were they in the 40s? Yeah. Oh, no. they immigrated right in 1944. 44. That's interesting. The Colombian half is of Italy and Spanish descent. The German mm. and Dutch group, they moved directly from the motherland to rural Ohio, for the record. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. So are you Amish? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> Also, Men anyone who's Dutch is definitely no. suspect. Yeah, I yeah. don't have the, I, I miss the, Dutch. The, the height and the bluntness. So. <laughs> <laughs> I take after my mom in that respect, I guess. Um, well, Alex, anything else you want to add for right now? We got to have Jeremy's cultural confessional. No, we'll give it. We'll hand it over to Jeremy. Jeremy had the heart and soul of Columbus MMA. Yes. Has been to every event early because he still sticks to that uh, on time military impromptu. Yes, it's it's imprinted in me. <laughs> so, what's your cultural confessional? Uh, so, I was born and raised in North Carolina, um, very much so on the hillbilly culture that is prominent in the South. Um, I joined the military when I was twenty four, and then from there, I spent three years in Germany, one year in Afghanistan. I went to Fort Carson a lot, um, traveled around a lot when I was in Europe, uh, experienced a lot of different cultures and when I was in Afghanistan. So when I got out, I uh, realized that I didn't have the mindset to rank up in the military like you're supposed to, because uh, I was not so much about strength. I could do all that, but the doing your job wasn't in held in high regards. You just have to learn how to shoot well and do push-ups and sit-ups. So I got out, started doing government contracting, and ever since then, I uh, have an hour drive to work every day. So I started listening to podcasts and uh, branched out from there, and now I have way too many to count. So I just try to make sure that I'm learning something all the time and try to brush that off onto my son as much as possible. So that's about it. It's pretty badass, man. Rich, you ready for your cultural confessional? Cultural confessional, huh? Well, you're a New Englander, man. You got to go through the whole, the whole painful everything, you know, if you want to. Whatever you want. Chinchillas. The chinchillas. Well, yeah. So I, I, I don't think I've ever shared my background publicly. No. <clears throat> well, um, I'll start off, I guess, with I came out of a, what you might call a severely 
abusive childhood. And so I bounced around young looking for kind of a father figure uh, and a way to, to get away from my family. And um, so my first job when I was 15, I started washing dishes in a restaurant and the head chef there kind of saw a kid in need and took me under his wing. And uh, so I trained under a, a chef for three years, uh, learning kind of uh, you know, basic, you know, French techniques, you know, how to, how to cook. And, uh, that was a rough environment. Um, you know, guys were going to the bathroom to snort Coke, you know, off the line on Saturday nights to keep, you know, to keep going. You know, we were a big banquet facility could handle, you know, four or 500 people at, at some of these big events. And it, it was tough, hard work. Um, Kitchen confessionals <clears throat> is a great book for the, what goes on in a big, busy kitchen and restaurant. So keep going. I, I haven't read it, but I, 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 now you've got me curious. Yeah. Um, but I, I had to get out of there. So uh, a, a friend of mine, I, we, I grew up in the hood, real poor family. Um, so a friend of mine convinced me if I could get a car, he could get me a job uh, as a salesman up at a, a retail place. So I bought a $450 uh, Plymouth Colt um, that... Um, God, what wasn't wrong with that thing? But it got me, it got me up there, and it actually got me a job, and I, I learned how to sell, and I, I became a commission salesperson selling, you know, high-end photography equipment. Uh, I like to tell the story of my last December there. My sales goal was three hundred nine thousand dollars for the month, and that was back in nineteen ninety, I don't know, two, one. Um, so I was quite a successful salesperson, and and. After going through that, I kind of realized I really didn't like people that much, and I thought I'd try the military. <laughs> so, <laughs> because you wanted to eliminate some people, or <laughs> I, I figured killing them was preferential to selling them things. <laughs> yes, that is the saddest indictment of consumerism <laughs> I've ever heard. It's a cultural confessional. Yeah. So you're in the military, you become an MP. Joined the military police corps, U.S. Army, and um, got shipped off to Northern California, uh, Sierra Nevada Mountains. Um, that's, your, that's your spot, right? That's where I got my blister. That's where he got his blisters to why he has to wear his the, awesome flip-flops. Yeah, it's a beautiful place up there. Um, you know, you can look up and, you know, see 10 shooting stars in five minutes. You know, you're up at, you know, 4,000 feet or so. And uh, so I, I did some pretty specialized security work up there. And uh, when I got out of the military, uh, started doing government contract security work. So I worked for, bounced around different companies. One company had a U.S. Marshals contract doing prisoner transport. Then I went to um, Federal Protective Service contract working in federal buildings. From there, I worked on a HUD contract in uh, federal housing projects that were being foreclosed. And they would send in their property management people and need, you know, large armed security force to go in with them. And, uh, you know, been half a block down from shootings, you know, seen gunfire exchanges. Heard cops, had been yelled at by cops for calling in. Uh, no, 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 no. Let's not, let's not go there, please. <laughs> let's not go there, please. Yes, there, there's some things I, I saw when I worked in close proximity to the police. Uh, that uh, at the time I was testing uh, to get on police departments and uh, caused me to abruptly change my mind and 
go into, uh, got a job as a technical analyst for uh, VitaRoot, uh, fuel management services monitoring uh, underground petroleum tanks for uh, leaks. Uh, that company closed down, moved the department to North Carolina. What was an interesting thing about this company? Because what there was something really fascinating with the jobs, and you had the highest what? Oh. This is okay. really, this is a great example of corporate America and how well, stupid it is. They had announced who was going to be relocating. They had picked the supervisor, and he handpicked his team to go down to North Carolina with him. And uh, I had been informed I wasn't picked. And Vitaru, um, they're owned by the Danaher Corporation. It's a Fortune 50 corporation, and they're, they're real big on metrics. And um, they would have what they called standard work. So they would audit your, your alarm calls to see if you followed the standard you know, protocols. And they would put up the percentages. And he put up the percentages. And I was, I can't remember if I was number one or number two in the department with something like a 98% uh, standard work that I, you know, my calls were in compliance with. And he goes, good job on the, uh, you know, on the standard work, whatever. I said, Heck, a lot of good it did me. I said, everyone that got asked to transfer is on the low half of this list. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that was my uh, experience with corporate America. Opposite corporate America. Lived in a cubicle and uh, it, it didn't enjoy it. Um, started title searching. Uh, had an attorney friend offered to teach me how to title search. It was in the middle of the real estate boom and money was to be made. I... I Took him up on it. Pretty good internet too, so you had to go to every small town. Oh yeah, I had to. You had to drive to 160. I forget how many towns there are in Connecticut now, but 160 different towns. Go into each vault. Um, you know, go into each department of the town because we would do municipal searches, looking for zoning compliance, see if they had certificates of occupancy, all that stuff. So I had had to deal very closely with a lot of government bureaucrats, and uh, that that kind of shaped uh, my worldview. Which is <laughs> he's 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 an well, anarchist like me, my friend. Yeah, at this point, I, I stopped doing that right at the uh, real estate bus because my uh, my business uh, <laughs> ceased to uh, produce cash flow, yeah. and I had several uh, friends uh, stiff me for many thousands of dollars that people I thought were friends. Yeah, and uh, at the same time, my father uh, fell down a flight of stairs and broke his hip. And um, he's my only surviving family that, that I know. And I, I had a failed, failed company and had to make a decision what to do. Uh, so I, I chose to become his full-time caregiver. And uh, it was because I was living under a very strict budget and couldn't eat healthy food. I had gotten up to 370 pounds and had fatty liver disease, could barely walk, could barely move. And uh, decided to grow my own food, you know, started researching things and, and had found out nutrition was the problem. So I, I started researching it, started putting in some raised beds and growing tomatoes and peppers. From there, I found permaculture and uh, realized I could actually pack an awful lot into a 15th of an acre. And in the course of three years, I turned that 15th of an acre city lot into a urban food forest uh, I'll call it a farmstead. Uh, I raised meat rabbits. I had laying hens. Uh, my last year there, I harvested 300 pounds of rabbit in uh, one year. Plus, uh, I had a dozen eggs a day, basically all year, 
all year long. Uh, I had peaches, plums, blackberries, raspberries, currants, sea berries, alpine strawberries, alpine strawberries, kiwi, um, every kind of vegetable you can imagine. I, I'm a permaculturist and permaculture designer and um, plant propagator. I'm about to start a nursery here. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's uh, that's where I'm at now. And, and he's, then, he's here. I met him at a conference in San Diego and he said we became friends and uh I was all fucked up and hung over because I drank a bunch of whiskey the night before. I'm like, hey, man, sorry I'm not really talking. I'm kind of hung over, but you seem like a super cool dude. And then uh, we we ended up hanging out and having friends. He started listening to my show. And uh, his his dad's house was getting uh, – he'd done a reverse mortgage or something before you started taking care of him because he started getting the early onset dementia. He kind of got taken advantage of. And then uh, he was like, I'm trying to get to Ohio – to hang out with you guys because we had this shit going on and then it was like uh i'm gonna live in my truck and i was like well look man i got an extra room here i could use help here so we just worked out a trade and worked out contracts and now rich and i are here and rich is helping the dream work man so big addition to the team i'm happy to have him here so thanks rich for your cultural confessional now we got um hater of drew sample and host of the coolest humans podcast James Miller. I don't hate you, Drew. I know. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm not sure how much I like you, but I don't hate you. No. <laughs> no I'm teasing, brother. Uh, cultural confession. Oh, man. I. So you work many, in the restaurant industry, too. The restaurant industry since I was a kid, since I was 20 years old. So, like, one thing I said as a teenager was I will never work in the restaurant business. Yeah. And I said I'll never be married. And I ended up doing both of those. I was successful with the restaurant business, um, so <laughs> I, uh, as a kid, man, uh, raised in a very fundamentalist Baptist family, went to this crazy Christian school, kind of like the place where you work, Hunter, 10,000-year-old uh, earth and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, 6,000. 6, oh, yeah, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody who's read the Bible knows that. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah and uh, so did that whole thing, and then in high school didn't believe a bit of it, and then college kind of went back to it. Um, thought I wanted to be a mechanical engineer, and did that for about a week in college. It was like, fuck this. <laughs> like, I can't imagine doing this for a living. Uh, quit there, then thought I wanted to be a youth pastor, went down to Liberty University, Jerry Falwell's place. Jerry Falwell's Jerry place. Wow. The, Falwell, yeah. the, the heart so, of the beast. <laughs> so, so this, so that's, that's kind of, I had all of that fundamentalist indoctrination, uh, weird way of thinking, but all the time I was reading philosophy and getting other opinions and got super interested in some of these atheist crazy guys. And, uh, so I, I tended to be a little bit of an extremist uh, back and forth on things like this. and um, So it was just kind of a jacked up upbringing. You know, you get raised in, and also like my dad's side of the family, a bunch of hillbillies. Hell yeah. Just a bunch of crazy hillbillies, the, the, the honor Were culture. they the Pentecostal hillbillies? No, Baptists. Okay. They, they, don't, they don't associate with each other. So Yeah, it's um, totally different. Yeah, so it's it's really weird. Just a bunch of backwards-thinking folks. Um, great folks. You know, they do anything for you. But it's just uh, just an 
looking back, just an absolutely weird <laughs> upbringing, yeah. man. Just just from all over the place. So uh, I think that's what attracts me to groups like this is a bunch of people that put thought into life. Yeah, you know, and groups like this. Are you? Have you been seeing other people? Have you been <laughs> having idea sex with other groups of strangers? Yes, no. man. <laughs> having having been in this in this weird world where you know uh, the school. I graduated 13 in my class, but that's because one girl graduated early. Uh, there was 12 of us, um, and we were really mad about her getting to walk. We didn't find out till that day. We're like, "What's this shit?" Um, was she the only girl in your class? No, too? no, actually, and fucking sexist. No, no I'm dude, just kidding. We actually had a bunch of good-looking girls, considering there was only like 50 people in the whole high school. It was an amazing ratio of good-looking girls. Yeah, yeah, except, <laughs> except you know they were all taken. <laughs> you know, and I dated the girls from the public school because I had other things I wanted to do, uh, and that they didn't. So, it's just it's just a completely jacked up situation. No, you're all good, man. You're from New Philadelphia, where Cody New, No Dad's from. No, I mean no love. Wow. My bad. That's harsh, man. Yeah. So there, that's that's it. Confession, man. I that's your. So why did you start the the coolest humans podcast? The coolest humans podcast was a reason to talk to cool people, right? You know, and, yeah. and to share. Uh, <laughs> Except for Drew, because I'm not fucking Drew's cool at all. Li- you're on the list. I'm on the uh, list. Everybody's on the list, oh, to I be know. honest. Yes. <laughs> it's just you're where just you are on the list. Even the Donato's Adam. guys on the list. <laughs> yeah, you looked Adam Henson too. He's I, like I way before Adam you. Today too. Yeah. I yeah. Thanks, that. James. Adam I even hit you up on Twitter, and I was like, you followed me. I go, oh, that sounds like a cool podcast, man. I'm pretty cool. Yeah, I thought so. I'll hit you up sometime. Dude, I, I went and listened to your show, and I'm like, this guy's doing some cool shit. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. Gonna be on the show. Just not cool enough. <laughs> not cool enough. <laughs> Alex is like, hey, James hit me up. He's going to have me on. He yeah. heard I heard I changed Thaddeus Russell's life, and he was like, you must be fucking cool. Yeah, I tried to get to Donato's guy before. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, so the Coolest Humans podcast, I wanted to – I did a podcast for the restaurant industry. I interviewed a bunch of uh, – top consultants and chefs and people that do my job. That's and great, dude. After about 25 episodes, I just ran out of things to say. Yeah. Like, I felt like I was repeating myself and that was boring. But I wanted to continue doing a podcast because I loved it. I loved reaching out to people. I loved talking to people. Because you've had Rob Wolf on. You've had... Rob you've Wolf had a, wow. months. I had uh, yeah. Eero Seppinen, the guy that started the World Wingsuit League. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah that sounds way cooler cool. than me. Yeah, I mean... I, I just and it's just been amazing to reach out to people and have them say yes and be able to share cool people that are doing cool stuff with with the world and the the show's been growing. Uh, it's been on a hiatus for a little while. My daughter got married and I was just freaking busy and work went sideways and all that kind of shit. But we are back to recording and uh, that's coming up real soon. A bunch of new episodes. That's good, dude. Eventually, there'll be a Drew Sample guy. Now featuring yeah. Drew Sample. <laughs> yeah, eventually Drew Sample might be considered as a uh, alternate. <laughs> Dude, there aren't so, there aren't that many humans on Earth. Like at a certain point, he's gonna have to get you I mean, on. There's only there's only seven billion. Yeah. Uh, Hunter, have you done a cultural confessional on MMA? Uh, I mean, I think that I've more or less bored everybody with most no, of my story. Come no, come on, let's tell it. 
Okay. Um, well, every time that I tell my story, I feel like it's the story of Dr. Evil in uh, <laughs> <laughs> First Austin Powers, where he's like, my story is quite usual. Um, but no, my mother is American. Uh, she's from Kansas City. She was born in St. Joseph, Missouri, which was the town that didn't get the railroad. Um, and so sort of withered and died. Um, and then uh, she grew up in Shawnee Mission, uh, my, uh, grandmother, uh, was hardcore Catholic, had seven kids. Uh, my grandfather, Eugene, the machine McNeil, um, served in Korea. They were both born in 1929. So they're both children of the depression. Um, and then, you know, my mother was the oldest, so she was the responsible one. Um, and, she had some, I don't remember the full story, but there's some sort of aunt or whatever or great aunt who had some money and they basically made it clear that like if any of the kids wanted to go to college out of state, they would pay for it. So she she was the only kid who took them up on this. Um, and then at the University of Chicago, she met my father. And my father, the Midwestern Ivy League school, besides the University of Michigan. Yep, it's the only school where you actually have to like really study. Yeah. Um, and my father is from Arnhem, which is in the south of Holland, uh, right on the Rhine, and um, it's the city that A Bridge Too Far was based on. So at the end of World War II, basically the Allies made a quick push to try and get into Germany. Uh, Operation Market Garden, and the idea was they were going to capture the major bridges across the Rhine, and the last bridge was the one in Arnhem. And essentially, by the time they got there, it was too late, and the German forces had swamped them. And that's why the winter—that's why the war extended into 1945, um, because they couldn't capture Arnhem in time. So, uh, you know, there was all all that reality of World War II, and my grandmother had all sorts of food issues because 1944 was this hunger winter where they sort of survived through a famine. So uh, that was like a pretty powerful experience for me was just realizing the degree to which my father's weird food issues had come from this famine in 44 and that I'd picked up a lot of that and then having to work through that and being just it was a powerful personal realization of how much these you know, experiences shape your culture and values, and then it's just passed on for generations and generations long past when it makes sense. Um, so they met at the University of Chicago. They met at the University of Chicago because my dad was almost recruited for the KGB. Um, <laughs> so he loved learning languages. Uh, it was basically his way of avoiding studying anything else. Um, so, you know, he would basically like every time they would tell me I had to take another class, he'd be like, okay, what languages haven't I taken? And so he took Swedish cause it was the language that all the pornos were in, in the sixties and seventies. <laughs> and he wanted to know what they were saying between grunts. And then, uh, he took Russian. And so as part of taking Russian, he like joined the friendship society, which was the club that all the kids who were taking Russian were in. And they were at some point he comes home to his father and he says, Hey, great news. They've offered me a scholarship. I can go study in the Soviet Union. And my grandfather was like, Holy fucking shit. This is bad. And so they went in and expunged his whole record um, of like ever having taken Russian, ever having taken uh, being involved in that because, you know, the Europeans sort of had watched the McCarthy hearings and had this idea that Americans were just like obsessed with communism. And so that would be bad. And then they shipped him off to the States. Um, so they met at the University of Chicago and then, um, you know, they dated 
and then my father went off, and one day in the middle of the night, he calls my mother and says, hey, Peggy. And he, she's like, who is this? And it's like, yo. He goes, I've been thinking, Peggy, we should get married. And she's <laughs> like, yo, it's literally the middle of the night. Where are you? And he goes, I'm in Tunis. <laughs> And she's like, Tunis, what are you doing in Tunisia? (laughs) And he goes, no, 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 Peggy, listen, think of the tax advantages. This is literally his proposal, which is the most Dutch proposal in history. Like, this is a very mutually beneficial financial arrangement. Like, we should totally do this. So they got married. Um, You know, I was born in Saudi and then, you know, just moved around the world a lot. And the main consequence of that was... Vitamin. Vitamin is that I say vitamin and wear mandals uh, <laughs> and say schedule. No, the main consequence just was like I didn't understand this at the time, but like I was constantly moving between cultures and the rules were changing and I didn't understand why. And so it was just this process of like I don't get the rules at all. Um, and so then, you know, the old Carol Dweck has that old joke it's not research, it's me search. Yeah. Um, and so I emotionally resonated with science because it seemed like that's where truth was and where the answers were. And uh, then, you know, have just sort of been trying to work my way across that to try and piece together some sort of worldview for me. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, Brian uh, had this podcast, Man Thoughts slash The Brian Callen Show. Because Brian is the most famous. Um, He's actually the coolest human. Um, No, but he actually had real downloads. And, you know, we would meet up in L.A. And, like... Didn't he tell you to move out there so you could pursue an acting career? No, it's funnier than that. I moved out there because, like, after Cold Spring Harbor, I had no idea what to do with my life. So after Harvard... No, so this is... So before college, I lived in the basement of Jim Watson, Watson and Crick. And I know, and then like I met the Jim. comedian. Was that the the the? What is Watson and Crick? That's the double D- helix of DNA. Oh my bad. Yeah, I was thought it was some <laughs> comedy team. Also, an amazing <laughs> comedy duo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Like I know, they're like, actually I know really anything good. Anything about science? Right. They're they're they have this whole skit about Chinese bicyclists. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, okay, so keep going. So anyway, so I met my hero, and the point is the image of Jim Watson that I had bore no correlation to the reality of Jim. Yeah. So that was sort of, you know, my Toto moment of the curtain was pulled back, and I was like, wait a minute, you're kind of a humbug. And it wasn't necessarily that he was, it's just that I had, it's like your dad. You have this outlandish image, and then you're like, wait, you're just a human. Um, So that was sort of you know, I was pretty lost after that and yeah. then went through the motions in college. And then literally after college had no idea what I was doing with my life. So I moved out to LA. But um, we'll repeat after you graduated from Harvard, you moved out to LA. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I moved out to LA and then, uh, read man search for meaning on the elliptical at 24 hour fitness. And, uh, which is the best place to do that. I was working out real hard. um, and, you know, just realized that, like, I needed to pick something to devote my life to. And so I picked education because that was how I was paying my bills. And then, um, you know, along the way, you know, got hooked up with Katie O'Brien. We wrote The Straight A Conspiracy and then was working with, um, you know, like would talk about books all the time with Brian. 
and it was Brian was like your uncle, right? You were the first house because your dad and his dad were really good friends, right? So but, his dad was my dad's boss. But Brian, even though he's like your age, is still old enough to be your uncle. It's this weird <laughs> space time continuum. Brian's actually younger than me, but yeah, he's also yeah. like my uncle. Yeah, yeah, it's this weird relationship. He's yeah. just so wise at his young it's, age. It's it's a lot like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> you know, there's that great bit in Hitchhikers where they talk about how there was an accident with a condom and a time machine, and that the result was that he was younger than his father or something <laughs> like that. So that's that's Brian. Um, yeah. But how did he hook you up with the Scientologist? Oh, so when I first moved out here my, to L.A., my mom was like. Uh, the only people I know in LA, the only person I know in LA is Brian Callen. Like, you need guidance. You're clearly lost. So call Brian Callen. That sounds I, like a great idea. Yeah, it was a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I called up Brian Callen. He's like, listen, it's simple. You're a writer. You're an actor, and you're probably a director, and I have the place sheet for you. <laughs> he did not and so it. then, this is literally what he says, right? And it was—it's clear now that he has given that speech 20, 30 times, and just gives it indiscriminately to whoever calls him. Um, so you know, so he says, "I know the place for you. You need to go to the Beverly Hills Playhouse." Little did I know that it is literally the hotbed of Scientology in L.A. Yeah. Um, so I got to like have a first i got to you know there's the acting education but the scientology education was amazing and like just all these funny things did they give you a personality test uh no the main thing cuz they, they i think it was very clear to them they were very good at reading like who was susceptible and vulnerable who was like open to these things and who just had no time for any of that bullshit they were baptists yeah it's the same thing <laughs> it's the same thing <laughs> but they they know who's convertible and who's flippable and who's not and they don't focus their energies on the people who are not but there are so many funny things like so they obsessively checked the thermostat and i was just like oh they're like really into temperature control and then you know it turns out that that's because l ron hubbard had defined that 72 degrees is the optimum temperature for human functioning <laughs> and so anytime the emotional climate in the room would get off they'd be like thermostat has to be off go check it and then you know one of the like hardcore scientologists would go check it and then they would say yep you're right 74 it's off <laughs> <laughs> damn it um so that was pretty fascinating and was just like you know i mean la is a great place to realize just how cultish humans are because there are a million cults in la i'm going to ask you to add something to your cultural yeah. confession that we talked about at dinner yeah. last night that everybody's dying to know how did you get on that humongous reality TV show that was hosted by Hal Sparks? And we need to be ready to pass the mic around because I think Nate, Jeremy, and everyone else might have some questions about this reality TV show. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. What was the reality TV show called? It was called Survival of the Richest. So, and the description was we're going to pair rich, rich kids up with kids that are struggling with money and. And we're gonna, and they're gonna teach them how to be better responsible with their money. And so y you were one of the rich kids. And how rich were you? I tell, had, let's tell this story. So yeah. the story is so, um, and I, I'll leave out some details. Yeah, yeah that's uh, fine. Um, but the, so I was rooming with the girl that I went to college with, and she was working at a talent agency. And this talent agent was amazing. He's one of my favorite people because he was like one of the biggest talent agents in the 80s and had discovered Mr. T 
repped Ralph Macchio, Ian Ziering, the Incredible Hulk, uh, the Luke Ultimate Frigno. Warrior. I think Macho Man Randy, Randy Savage. Savage. Like it was like the ultimate client list, and he still had the exact same client list in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> so he was hurting a little, and things weren't necessarily going so well. And so he called me up one day, and he was like, "You, like I, you know, uh, you went to Harvard, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "So you're rich, right?" And I'm like. No. And he goes, but you know what rich people act like, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. And he like, go do this reality show. You know, everybody's doing reality now. Check it out. And uh, so I went in there. I haven't told you this bit, but this yeah. is actually my favorite part of the story. So I was like, I knew what they wanted. So I went in there in khaki pants, boat shoes, <laughs> a pink polo shirt and a pink sweater and just was as obnoxious as I possibly could be. And, you know, they would ask me questions like, so what do you do for fun? And I go, oh, well, I like to go out for dinner. And then I like to make the waitresses cry and then sleep with them at their most emotionally vulnerable. <laughs> and they just were like, this is genius. I mean, you know, we need to get this person on the show. So they like there came all these problems for them because they wanted to do background role that would just sort of show me in my natural rich life. But I was driving a 2005 Ford Escape that my Uncle Bill had built at the Blue Springs, Missouri Ford plant. And they were like, that doesn't quite fit. Do you have any other cars? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> so they hooked me up with a Jaguar for the shoot. So I drove around in a Jaguar. And then they were like, your apartment is kind of not what we were hoping for. So then they took me to the Magic Castle and pretended that I hung out at the Magic Castle all the time. And then the day before shooting, they asked me, so can we say you're worth $20 million? And I said, you could say that. <laughs> and so they just posted up every single time, Hunter Mods, Dutch aristocrat, $20 million. And if you ask any Dutch person, they're like, Dutch aristocrat, what the fuck is that? Like, who is this guy? We've never heard of him. Um, and so anyway, so yeah, then I went on the show and uh, yeah, they paired us with poor kids and made us do things that we were supposed to struggle with. Who is your poor kid? You uh, single mom. Single mom. But one of the poor kids wasn't really poor, right? Like, Yeah, the whole thing was a bit silly. So not only were many of the rich kids not rich, some of the poor kids were not poor. Uh, they just had like a bunch of college debt. And so that's how they justified that big number. Because um, that was that's the whole thing. And then they exaggerate the number. This is going to be heartbreaking for Rich, I know, because he's a huge reality TV fan. And to find <laughs> out that it's actually not real. <laughs> Rich is, I mean, you know, I this is he's crying even more than Thaddeus did on... <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh. So anyway, it was yeah, it was it was ridiculous, but it was good fun. But the the thing that was interesting was it was actually a great lesson just in how you know to the sort of fear, uncertainty, doubt point. Like the the number of ways that you can like manufacture any narrative you want from like raw material, because uh, that's what reality TV is about. And then trying to hype certain things, downplay other things, you know, manufacture conflict. Well, you said something in the house like you had to like figure out ways to create drama or oh they, yeah like because they wanted the producers to be like well we need we need this right now or 
Yeah, I mean, that's what they do. So, and I mean, you know, these are sort of things that in L.A., you know people who do reality TV, and so you're exposed to it. But the sort of the bread and butter of reality is, you know, people who make bad decisions plus alcohol. Um, So, you know, I mean, like, there are certain certain chicks who already would make bad decisions, and then you just make a lot of alcohol available, and you got yourself a reality TV hit. What and so you you were a runner up in this show. Yep. And uh the prize for rich people and poor people would have been a hundred thousand dollars, which split in half and then after taxes about thirty grand each. <laughs> so it's not much of a prize. But yeah, I mean I take thirty grand too, and you get to be on TV, I'm not gonna lie, but, but it's for just, it's a just, Dutch aristocrat worth twenty million. Yeah. Well, this was maybe my best line on the show. They asked me when you heard about the prize, what did you think? And I said, Oh, lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that was the game, was like, yeah, it became about like manufacturing drama and then just thinking of one liners. Cause that's the you're sitting in the house and you know that they're editing yeah. and that there's camera time. And so you're just trying to figure out what's going to make the cut. Like what's funny, what fits into the narrative, what's my story, what's my role in this, you know, how am I going to get more screen time? Which is honestly, that's how news works. Yeah. Like it's all, you know, why do we love Michael Malice? Why is Michael Malice so good on Fox? Because Michael Malice is amazing at coming up with the great one-liners that are going to make the edit, make the screen time, and that he's always going to be able to do that. And then, uh, weren't you, weren't you listed as one of the the sexiest men? At the, I that was lady? one of people's hottest bachelors. Yeah, you were one of people. How the ha- mighty have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so then, uh, how did you come about mixed mental arts with Brian? Um, so Brian had this podcast, Man Thoughts, or whatever the and fuck it was. Turned and into the Brian, Brian Callen, Callen show. show. And then the Brian Callen Show with Hunter Mods. And yeah. then Mixed Metal Arts. So, yeah. So Brian uh, and I would talk about books all the time. He booked Katie and I as, I think, episode two because he was, like, doing no work to, like, book guests. It was whatever was easiest for him. Um, and I was like, you know, Brian, like you actually have like some downloads. Plus I can lie about these and exaggerate them upwards. And, you know, you could probably book literally all these guys whose books we've been reading and talking about. And he's like, really? You would talk to me, a stand-up comedian. I'm like, yeah, they're like professors. Nobody ever talks to them. Their interviews are super boring and they (laughs) would love to sell some books. And so I just started reaching out to people and, I reached out to all the people that I wanted to talk to and would just book guests. And then I would sit in on the podcasts and, you know, uh, then started chiming in. And then it sort of evolved from there and uh, got hate mail from day one. (laughs) It's so weird, man. I I heard you and I thought you were great immediately when you're talking shit on Sam Harris. Which Rich loved, too, because Rich loves Sam Harris. <laughs> Sam Harris and reality TV fans. That's, that's a strong overlap. <laughs> um, that's great, man. Do you want to? You have to have a response, Rich. I just don't understand all the hate for Sam Harris. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want here? Yeah. Do you want to get into that? I mean, well, we can. I mean, Sam, the, 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 so a lot of this came out of, uh, reading the bully pulpit. Yeah. Um, which is the Doris Kearns 
Goodwin book about uh, Teddy Roosevelt and uh, the Muckrakers. Yeah. And, you know, the basic problem is, is that it's it's very hard, like mo- a problem like, so what they were dealing was with monopolies or trusts, and that's like a large abstract problem. It was way too complicated. It was hard for people to grasp, and they need to figure out ways to drive people's attention to the issue. And so you need a certain amount of political theater. And so what they the muckrakers figured out is, is that you pick one trust, um, which was Standard Oil, and they pick one person, John D. Rockefeller, and then they just explored that from beginning to end in order to give the public a story that they could track so they could make sense of what was going on. And once they'd understood that concrete example, then they could generalize and understand more generally the problem of trust. So we've been talking on Mixed Metal Arts for ages about how like the best ideas are trapped in books, ideas don't diffuse, and so the question was, how do you deliberately generate some controversy to drive some attention to these ideas? And so I'd been searching around for a long time, and I realized that I thought that the best option was to basically take extremists or fundamentalists of all different kinds, right? Because this is this is where the John Height moral intuitions thing becomes important, where the core value that everybody has in common is fairness. So if you make fun of one group, then you're attacking that group. But if you're doing the South Park thing and like making fun of everyone, then you can potentially get away with it. So I cooked up this idea of like you take an extremist from every tribe. So it was Lena Dunham for the social justice warriors. And it has to be someone famous because otherwise nobody's ever heard of them. So it was Lena Dunham for the social justice warriors. It was sort of Peter Schiff and Tom Woods for the anarcho-capitalist libertarians. Uh, it was Richard B. Spencer for the alt-right. Uh, it was Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins for the sort of anti-theist thing. Um, the new atheists, richest the new people. Atheists. Richest um, people. And so, yeah, so I picked a bunch of these people. And then I was like, you know, you guys think you're all so different, but I'm going to put you all in one bucket together. And then the idea was to sort of tease all these people and make fun of them. And Sam Harris's feelings got very hurt. They d- they have, and I'm <laughs> I apologize <laughs> to Sam Harris because he lives in a very nice safe space, and I'm sorry that I violated <laughs> his safe space. <laughs> um, but so no, I mean you know I messed around with all these people. Richard B. Spencer called me non-human. Uh, Lena Dunham has yet to respond to anything that I've ever said. Um, Tom Woods blocked me on Twitter. Um, and then, you know, the only one who really responded was Sambo, Little White Sambo. And little Derek Zoolander got so offended and so upset <laughs> because he's so emotionally fragile and he has a huge ego. And the great thing is, is that, you know, the fact that he felt the need to respond and that he has since said, like, he's given me everything. I, I didn't think that he would ever respond or that there was any reason for him to, but he was dumb enough to do that. And so now he's on record saying that, you know, I don't understand the relevant biology, which is great. I don't need people to believe that I do understand the relevant biology. I need there to be enough attention on the relevant biology. And then once that's there, we can now unpack the relevant biology term, unpack. at, at let's our leisure. It. Yeah, let's unpack it. Um, so the, the big parts of the relevant biology are... You know, John Haidt, uh, Joe Henrik, and David Sloan Wilson are sort of the three big parts of sort of the core of, you know, what this is all about. You know, John Haidt, 
thinking and feeling are always linked. Um, that was actually a really good podcast Sam did with him, though. That was I, well. The the thing is, is that in the in the first, I mean, it's what that podcast was. So that podcast was to show that they could have a civil conversation after they'd gone back and forth a lot. But in the beginning, you know, John Height plants the problem. He basically says we disagree in two basic ways. We disagree on rationalism versus intuitionism, and we disagree on multi-level selection. Uh, versus the sort of gene-centric evolution that Dawkins proposes. And then they basically didn't talk about the two elephants in the room. Yeah. The rest of the podcast is them not addressing the problems. And, you know, you can have a perfectly conversa- pre- pleasant conversation with anybody if you don't actually address the core problems. Um, so they never really address those core problems. The core problem is is that, you know, Sam is human, and therefore his feelings are always driving his thinking. But... He, uh, you know, and you use this word rational earlier, and people mean very different things when they're saying the word rational. And some people think it means I am objective and see the world as it is, and I'm unaffected. My feelings don't affect my thinking, right? And some people mean I'm reasonable in the sense that I slow think, I take my time, I examine the evidence, and then I'm willing to change my mind in light of the evidence. Which is actually what rich does all the time like i was saying for us like rich's slow thinking gets me to not fuck up a lot around here which is great yeah um but the the idea of any human really being objective is just not a good fit for the data no Um, and that scott adams was the first time i heard that and that's when i i talked to you about that i go yeah scott adams is saying you know facts don't matter and then thomas soul said we're in an age where facts don't matter and everybody's kind of agreeing with it, and then Donald Trump gets elected. Yeah, and humans tell stories, and yeah. the point of science is to test our stories against the available evidence so we can tell more reality-based stories. Um, but the goal is not even necessarily accuracy. I mean, this was the, I had a conversation with Adam Hansen about this, who's going to be on the Coolest Humans podcast. Yeah, I heard he's already been on. Yeah, he's, I heard... Yeah, he's booked. He's, he's booked. Yeah, yeah, he's booked. He's booked. Yeah. Have you have you gotten your invite yet, Drew? Not yet. I mean, I hit the I hit the host up, uh, man, close to six months ago, and said I'd love to be a guest on his show. And he said, Yeah, I'll contact you sometime. And that was it. That, no, no, no word yeah. back. I invited yeah. him over to my house twice. I'll, I'll have your people call. <laughs> <laughs> um, I heard Rich is going to be on. Yeah, Rich is going to be on. Rich That's told exciting. a pretty compelling cultural confession. That was pretty baller, Rich. I have yeah, to say. Yeah, I was getting teary-eyed hearing your fucking story of curing yourself of fatty liver disease and everything. So, um, Does that answer your question about the hate for Sam Harris? We need to give him a mic. He's a useful yeah. he's a useful teaching tool. Yeah, I point. think well and also and it's too, not even him to be honest, but, it's his public persona. No, yeah, and that was the thing. I think his fans are more like me and Rich said, I'm like, you know, I don't really hate Sam. I hate his fucking fans. Like they're just so I mean, it's the same thing with like because you you guys had Peter Schiff on the show and you just asked Peter Schiff simple questions and Peter Schiff couldn't answer them. Yeah, he literally his brain froze. It was pretty amazing. But, you know, and I'd, I'd warned, Pete, that was another one, and that was sort of like the reason why I sort of decided to do the fundamentalist thing, because I'd become frustrated with so many of these podcast interviews where you have like an endless stream of guests on, and everybody just does their spiel. And it doesn't, like, it's not moving humanity. There's this, you know, I mentioned this earlier, this great George Bernard Shaw quote where he said, all the economists laid to end, you could lay all the world's economists end to end, and they would never reach a conclusion. 
And that's how I feel about podcast guests and books and all this stuff. And it's like, great. Everybody's got their little shtick. They say their little spiel. They pump their book. They pump their website. They do whatever. But it's like humanity needs to start figuring shit out and needs to start reaching some conclusions. And so I had some people reach out. They wanted us to have Peter Schiff on. And then I like poked around and saw what Peter Schiff was doing. So I wrote a thing up. It was pretty long. It was like one of the 5,000 word blog posts. Um, (laughs) But it was an attempt to sort of summarize the problem with the view of capitalism that libertarians often have, which is basically, you know, this idea that you just, uh, the market is a free for all and markets aren't free for alls. That isn't what Adam Smith taught. That isn't what we know about human biology. And I sent it to Peter Schiff's assistant. I was like, look, like we're doing this thing called mixed metal arts. We're going to try and hold him accountable to a whole bunch of different evidence. And it's his job to be, he should just know that this is potentially going to come his way and that I'm going to do this. So then I had Peter on the podcast. At the beginning of the podcast, I said, Peter, did you read this thing that I sent you? And he goes, no, no, I didn't hear it. So then he starts into the podcast and he starts just doing a spiel. And it's clear that he's doing all his talking points that he's ever done for everything. And at a certain point, I was like, okay, like if we're going to do this, let's start pushing on very basic things like what we know about how humans think, about thinking and feeling. And let's talk to him about like how do ecosystems, which is really what the market is, as we said in the drive over, mm-hmm. behave. And I love the free market. But the reality is that shitty behavior, people will occupy that ecological niche. They will try and take advantage of people. And markets have rules. And they have rules because those behaviors emerge. And it's the same reason why you have a referee in a sport. It's because there are certain moves that you want to take off the table. Like, I don't get to take an AK-47 onto a football field, right? Because that doesn't make for good competition. Good competition is within certain boundaries. You can have too many rules. You can have too few rules. And it's a real challenge to figure out what is the rule book for, say, American football or soccer or any of those other sports. Um, And so I pushed back on Peter. and Yeah, his brain literally froze. And I was like, if we're going to actually do this, we're going to have to start actually challenging some people on ideas and basically start putting some ideas out of business. And that you can only you can't do that when you sort of are being Larry King where you're just going to like stroke everybody's dick and make them feel good and how great they are and let them spiel their thing. You're going to have to start holding people accountable to all the evidence. And the problem is that most people have been so narrowly doing their thing that they've never been exposed to most of these ideas. And so, you know, did the did the fundamentalist thing, but then part of what became so clear in that process like engaging with Sam's followers on Twitter was that it was just a hugely unreasonable ask to say, okay, great, I've engaged you now. Here is a list of 150 books that you have to read. (laughs) Like, it's just not a reasonable ask. So that's why it then became, now we have to focus on the belt system. Like, how do we whittle these 150 books down to, like, say, nine core principles? Well, something we were talking to on the car over is, like, you have a lot of books that you should probably just say, okay, most of this book is trash, but there was this one concept in it that was really good. And that's a large part of the problem of the books that academics write, is the incentive of an academic is you study a tiny little thing, 
you have your shtick and then you drag it out into a three or four hundred page book to make it seem authoritative. Mm-hmm. And it's like we were talking about Gardens of Democracy. And it's a great title. Great title. And great it, concept. You get the metaphor instantly. And yeah. then, you know, literally somebody, I think it was Benjamin Shell Kelberg or whatever. His name oh, is. it's uh, Kijaberg. <laughs> That's the American pronunciation. Kijaberger. I don't um, know. Sorry, buddy. But he was like, what is this piece of shit book? Like, I hope this is an indicative of the list. And like, honestly, I have to fall on my sword and say, not a book worth reading. And Descartes' error we were talking you about. You said the same thing to me. I said, yeah, I got to check that out. You're like, no, just learn what that means. It's it's a whole it's a whole book about one concept. Yeah, and basically one story, the story of Elliot. Yeah. And you don't necessarily need to read the whole book. And that's, you know, I mean, that was sort of like in terms of real cultural confession, cultural intuitions I needed to recover from of being so reverent of what all these academics had done. And like, if you want to be effective, then you just extract the gold nuggets and like refine that gold. And then you're like, honestly, like I read hundreds and hundreds of, like I read thousands of books, whittled it down to a list of a hundred. And then honestly, you don't even really need to read these hundreds of books. You need like, you know, these sort of very basic core concepts. Mm -hmm. And if you want, you can get into them and you can sort of explore those ideas more. But even then, like, if you can get the community together to be breaking all these things down. So, you know, I mean, like Adam Hansen has this book, Outsmart Your Instincts, Mm -hmm. which is a massive distillation of huge amounts of work into the sort of like the eight ideas or the 10 ideas that, you know, most people really need. Um, And that's really what the work is. Like, if you actually want to fix things, you have to work within what is people's available time, what is their available energy, what are their available resources. And it has to be like, you know, rather than making you read, you know, all of those super academic books or like, you know, Stephen Johnson's Where Ideas, Good Ideas Come From, which is a good book. It's like, here, innovation is about idea sex. There you go. One sentence, you get it. I don't have to explain it anymore, right? Everyone yeah. is in a cult, right? That's the white belt, right? Cultures bind and blind, right? That's the that's the yellow belt, orange belt, Dunbar number, right? You can only track 150 relationships. Everyone else is in distraction. Green belt, thinking and feeling are always linked, right? And so it has to be purple belt, learn, unlearn, relearn, right? So you whittle it down to these core concepts, and that's really what everybody needs. And in the end, that's why, you know, I'm not devoting any energy to these fundamentalists because to really like this is Brian's one of Brian's favorite quotes, the Amos Oz quote. If you want to beat a bad idea, you need a better idea. Yeah. And so it's now time to promote that better idea, which is everything synthesized down into the belt system and start to really move that. And at that point, you know, that's how you're going to really defeat them is because at that point, what do you have to say? All you're doing is bitching and scapegoating other cultures and finger pointing. Yeah. And like, that's I mean, not it, getting us anywhere. It basically is, you know, me and Rich have these conversations regularly. And it's like, you know, we, we could sit here and bitch about the things we're unhappy with, with government. Or we could just continue to do what we're doing here and show what we're all about. And Rich has like, I like how like Rich has a great vision of what he wants this to be. You know, we we want to be a place where kids are welcome. Rich has already trained interns that were from, you know, he had he had interns back there, and like just having this idea, and it's cool having 
kids come up to us through the alley on their bikes and ask about plants and ask for plants and we gave them plants and uh and i gave them like what we gave them basil and tomato plants to take to their parents and said yeah just you know plant them green side up and make sure you water them and that's and that's pretty much it and i think it's you know it's it's interesting to see to see the effect or you know um sling blade coming on the bike seeing a rich while we're we're shoveling compost nice greenhouse and the, and then keep going and and it's like just i mean like the neighborhood has characters i mean we're not we're not in a nice neighborhood it's 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 a bunch of poor people but you know it's it's interesting to see abandoned houses you know rich you want to talk about what you want to do with the alley well we've got a <clears throat> alley behind us here i, I this is probably something I imagine it's all over Columbus, but in the Northeast, you don't see see this, where there's uh, alleys between backyards and, I guess... For the power lines. The power lines and the sewer run through the alleys, and then the water lines are out the front. And um, you're supposed to maintain the alley, but nobody does. It's just completely overrun with, with whatever, which around here is mulberries, grapes. Um, there's even elderberry. Elder... Uh- edible plants there, there's some there's lots of edible plants there's lots of medicinal plants and there's a lot of uh noxious weeds um and so it's available space and so what i like to do is i like to take advantage of all of the areas available to me to to transform them into something better than what they are and and um something that that's humans want to be around more so what my plan is is over the next few years to go through that alley and gradually start taking out plants that we don't want there, like poison ivy and male mulberries that don't produce male mulberries, uh, you know, whatever you don't want there and start putting in plants. We do now grapes are already growing all over the place. You and Paul just found a bunch of edible wild grapes on a, just a normal hike through the park really huge vine just covered with grapes uh we we just found you know a lot of pawpaw patches and black walnuts and ramps and i mean good shit we live in a wonderful area and you can massage any area towards what you want with more useful plants more medicinal plants um why not have instead of a hedge that's just a privet that you cut why not have something that produces berries or medicine um humphrey that we put on Hunter Motz's boo-boo from hiking. Right. Plants that help you heal, you know, medicinal plants. Yeah, I think, I mean, and that's the whole idea. I mean, it's, you know, edible landscapes goes a long way. You know, we, we've we been selling. So I, I've been trying to, you know, with Rich, he's never been able to sell any of these plants. And all I want to do is sell. I'm like, give me some shit to sell, Rich. Just give it to me and I'll take care of it. So we had these beautiful red vein sorrel, which I'd never really heard of. He showed me. I was pulling shit out of my salad thing he's like you know that's that's wood sorrel that's edible taste and it tastes just like lemon we have uh i was telling you about purslane which what is all the nutrition it's grows everywhere it has a bunch of omega chain fatty acids highest source of uh, omega-3 fatty acids for a a leafy green and it's everywhere i mean you just look in a ditch and it's going to be there it it likes to grow out of cracks in driveways And so we had a little area back here that we didn't have enough lettuce to transplant into. And we had holes cut in the landscape fabric and it's black landscape fabric. And so Purslane starts popping up. So I I let it 
grow and we've got i don't know 25 20 feet of pers lane filling in there and we've we been juice harvesting big yeah. bunches of it every day to to put in our smoothies yeah so i mean it's just it's just knowing your like it's not just knowing your neighborhood it's just like knowing what's around you like i was telling hunter coming up like when it comes to plants like what we think are weeds are actually things that the soil wants and the soil is a living ecosystem whether we like it or not i mean there's reasons i mean you give to the soil like we were talking like there's no difference between our subconscious mind and soil. Like whatever you feed it, when you know garbage in, garbage out, even with computer programming, I mean, this analogy is so thick. What were you saying, Hunter? Like we were talking about the subconscious mind, and it's it's evolved universally, and it's it's no different than soil. Like we're not, we are a product of this planet, and and I think, you know, not to sound, and we're not trying to sound woo woo at all. I mean, it's just it's just a part of nature, and so. We could either try to fight against nature or live with it. And honestly, man, if you if you know what's around, I mean, there's so much good food. There's so much good stuff for you. And it's the same thing with an intellectual ecosystem. Yeah. Right? Like, it has to be nudged and sort of massaged in the way that you're talking about. And, you know, I mean, all of this fundamentalism has appeared and all these extremist points of view. But that is, you know, sort of a reaction to the soil compaction, if you will, of the 1950s of like all this top down media telling people what to think. And then all these in inverted commas weeds have sprung up through the cracks. But the point is that I think that now the time has come where there are all these thistles, there are all of these things, and it's not necessarily it's become unhealthy. We're not we're not in a good intellectual ecosystem right now. And the time is for all of us to be gardeners, not only of our own minds, but of sort of the intellectual ecosystem out there so that there is a healthier, better exchange of ideas that is producing all sorts of great things like Rich is doing. With Here. Me. I mean, Rich, what what's the what's the Roundup resistant plant that's going to fucking ruin large scale farming right now? Is it chicory or which one is it? I think it's uh, amaranth. Is that the one you're talking amaranth, about? Amaranth, yeah. And it's actually also an edible plant. Well, yeah, certain. Yeah, selectively bred varieties. It's wild. Yeah, the GMO variety we talked about on the way down. But anyways, um, if anybody else wants to talk, man, I, I don't want to. Well, I'd else. love to hear from everybody, like, you know, what drew you to mixed mental arts? What are you... What do you think that we need to work on? What do you think that we sort of as a community uh, need to prioritize? What are the problems you see? You know, how can we be inspiring more people to engage with these ideas and to, you know, there is there are seven and a half billion humans who are all ahead of Drew on the invite list for coolest humans. <laughs> <laughs> and by the, I think that here's my real question is like by the time we get to Drew, what will all of those other people have helped solve? And like, how will we have done it? So if I could start, um, first, I want to fully admit that I've actually never listened to. That's okay. I, I told him, to mixed mental I told him you were coming and I said, he's part of the school sucks crowd that I'm trying to get in with the MMA. I'm about to go and add it to my podcatcher when I get home. Yeah. That helps you feel. Okay. So it's kind of, there's some, there's some, there's some iTunes issues, so if you go I to was hearing about those. yeah, if you just Lipson. go to their Lipson thing, and I'm gonna put it out there. If you subscribe to, if you click on the RSS and subscribe that way, you'll be in. It will it will 
populate in like a podcast addict or whatever you use or we have Thaddeus Russell on, so already it's a great show. And they yeah, and there's another you know. one coming out with that. And so. there's gonna be a part three with that. Okay. So yeah. that's you know. We none of us made him cry though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so probably not that good then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Snap. <laughs> So, uh, but Alex, no, I wanted you around because me, Jeremy, and Nate, and uh, now that we are kind of, we got James here and we can all start meeting on Sundays regularly, I think it's it's just something that we wanted to, you know, our first meetup was pretty big and I've been trying to, I've met up with a couple School Sucks guys and I've been trying to do that more, but there's, I think there's three, there's three public listeners, or there's three people in the Facebook group that are publicly said that they've been in Columbus and it's me, you, and Fred. And Fred is, um, he's working a ton. So it's just like, man, we should just mix the group. I'm friends with Brett and I'm friends with Hunter. And they, I mean, we all have the same, you know, we all want to burn our college Main. degrees. So, yeah. 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 I'm definitely down, especially with this Sunday morning church thing that we're going to be starting to do. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks, David. <laughs> I will say if we want to add on to it, I do, uh, I do yoga at like eight or nine on Sunday mornings. So if we want to get, a I little, do DDP like, yoga. DDP yoga, Diamond Dallas Page yoga. It's, it's uh, it sounds funny, man, but there's it's he rehabbed himself with it, and he, you know wow. pro wrestlers fuck themselves up yeah. pretty hardcore, and so it's like a isometric exercises mixed with uh, I mean me and Rich, I mean, it's coming more for the winter time because we've been doing so much stuff, and we got to rearrange some furniture in here. Obviously, it's pretty cramped, but um, do DDP yoga. I'm down. Okay, but. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let me pass the mic. You want to go, David? Well, actually, I did have something too. Oh my bad. And you're you're a really good like facilitator slash slash laughing at all my poor shitty jokes. So <laughs> I like having you on the mic. But uh, I want to touch something, touch on something that kind of goes to how do we make things better that Hunter asked and you were kind of hitting at earlier, which was uh, if I can plug Jake DeSillis's The Voluntary Life podcast. Yeah, I'm a good. I'm good friends with Jake this too. This is another like change my life sort of podcast. Um, and he had. He had one a while back that I believe is called the culture of entrepreneurship versus the culture of politics. Um, and so an idea that you kind of hit on that he, he said, and there was a whole list. I made like a, a note in my Evernote of like the five different things that he compared and that I was like on board with all of them. But the one that you were talking about was um, the culture of politics. Of like David, my, or not David, uh, sorry, Alex microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Let's fight over a, a theoretically limited set of resources and let's play these power games um and politics is very much about what's your against i'm against racism I, i'm against sexism i'm against yeah. um i'm against political even, correctness yeah, even. Political like, correctness. yeah or on the other side i'm against um freedom of speech yep yeah uh versus culture of entrepreneurship is very much about what are you for like it doesn't matter like i'm against all sorts of things i'm against more things probably than i'm i'm for just because there's more stuff and ideas out there than i can like think about and and really consider but uh yeah i definitely think like here's what i'm about here's what i care about and i'm gonna go live according to those things i'm gonna go follow those things and that'll be sort of a a beacon or a flare for other people to i mean that's how i'm here like we have like you gave me a hug and we've never even met in person yeah. right away because we already know like we got 80, similar values of the things yeah we're gonna agree on so that's, that's also really just Drew, idea. though. Like, he's Yo, desperate for some real validation story. every since he got burned. Real story. I totally <laughs> forgot to dog on Hunter for this. This is so funny. 
So we're going to the meetup today in Detroit. We get this 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 coffee that Hunter had to have. It was pretty good. I'm not gonna lie, it's good coffee. So we're walking in this meetup, and the fucking we're like there, and here's the guy who like just goes and seats you, and Hunter just hugs the guy, and he's like, "Hey, it's so good to meet you." Blah blah blah, because he thinks it's the guy that we're supposed to be meeting, oh, Derek. No. <laughs> and then I shake the guy's hand. I'm like, uh, "Yeah, man, good to meet you." And Hunter goes. Yeah, man, you know, I'm just from L.A. and I want to share that love because he figures out what he did. And then the guy actually really appreciated it. Like the guy was really happy to have that hug, man. Yeah. He really was like, yeah, man, you know, it's it's kind of rough working Sundays. So I really appreciate you guys like being so cool. I think I'm going to go out to L.A. now. Like really yeah. <laughs> know any good acting classes? Yeah. Well, I know Scientology. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it was so it was so funny, and I was like, because I was like, is this the guy? And I'm looking at him like, that doesn't look like the guy from Facebook, because well, neither of us had met him. It looked nothing like Derek. That was yeah. the thing. But, but you thought like, maybe it was no, because the, he was like, because he was the host, and then he was like talking to someone, but it looked like just a very informal chat. So I was like, oh, these guys are waiting to be seated. That's the deal. And then yeah. you know, I did that, which was it was but, hilarious. You know. It was hilarious. But the guy really, I think it made his day. But I think uh, my grandpa always said hugs go a long way. And he's like, you know, sometimes people just need a hug. And then it was like he was always a big hugger. My family was always a big hugger. So I got made fun of in college because I'd give all my friends hugs. But I still do. Like our buddy Nick Steckschulte came over the other day. And I gave him a big hug. He's like, oh, I always forget you're a hugger. And then uh, I was leaving. I made him get up to give me a hug. He's like, fine, Drew. And he gave me a hug. And that was it. But that's. This is who I am, man. I mean, I'm not. I'm always going to be that way. So, anyways, hugs go a long way. You're not That's, alone, my friend groups. We're all huggers. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Who's next? Who wants to? Are you done, Alex? You, yeah, that was that was my main thing to show. Yeah, I'll give it a run. Um, so I think what initially attracted me to uh, mixed mental arts was uh, obviously I got into the group through Nate and. Um, I've always respected Nate a lot for just his general um, curiosity on life. He's just always wanting to learn and always wanting to, um, you know, experience new things. You know, it's it's kind of like a, if it's a challenge, I, I'm always going to be there to meet it kind of perspective. So in that sense, um, you know, we always like to have good conversations and whatnot and really kind of delve into topics, even things that are, you know, you wouldn't even think of diving into. One time he gave us a fantastic history lesson on... Uh, Mongolian horses. Uh, we'll save that one for another day, but he has a great story about that. We ended up watching a documentary with Julia Roberts. And it was so riveting that David was, wanted to give that same monologue like pretty soon afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. Like I found myself talking about Mongolian horses shortly after that. But anyway, um, I was initially attracted to the group because it seemed like um, it wasn't so much the ideas themselves that were that I was attracted to, but it was the the idea of a way of thinking. It's It was this, and you talked about that reasonable thinking, that slow thinking that I'm very much attracted to. And this was at a time, as I mentioned earlier, with the election having difficulty even just conversing with people about challenging ideas. You know, it, I found solace in that and being able to be like, this is a group of people that's willing to talk about these things and is not going to, you know, lash out at me if I have a controversial opinion or an opinion that's doesn't necessarily agree. It doesn't have to be controversial, but we, I just don't agree on some opinions, you know. 
And so, um, you know, that's really what drew me to the group. And I was hoping, you know, out of mixed mental arts that this, uh, it became kind of more of a way of thinking of this idea of promoting um, this kind of slow thinking, this recognizing your own emotions and being able to, you know, use that simply as another piece of information that helps inform what you're doing. So obviously you can't dismiss your, you know, your thinking and feeling are always linked, but, you know, you can't dismiss that feeling, you know, sometimes a feeling goes a long way and a lot of people, you know, swear by their feelings. You know, I had this, I had this terrible feeling when I met this person. And then, you know, two and a half weeks later, they get screwed over by that same person. They're like, ah, see, I told you. And that gives them that validation. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to necessarily ignore that feeling. Right. So, you know, I saw the group as very much, you know, a group of people that kind of shared this similar slow thinking mentality that are open to new information and all these ideas that are presented in this 150 book list. So, um, yeah, I just saw it as that kind of group. And it was, you know, for me as a person that really values um, being reasonable, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was something that really attracted me to it. And I just, you know, it's... I had a lot of friends from school that uh, left after college and, um, you know, I just didn't really have like that core group to kind of work with. And it got frustrating to see people that I knew that were well-educated, but, you know, they turned that education into, oh, well, I can, I can Google something and prove to you exactly what I mean and not really thinking about the idea that Google's manicuring those results for them based on what they input, what they've searched in the past and how, you know, it's essentially showing them what they want to see, which you know, it's helpful, but you also have to realize that what you want to see isn't necessarily always what's, you know, I don't want to say truthful, but it's not the reality for everyone. It's going to be different from everyone, for everyone. So everyone's going to get different sources using the same search at all the time. So, yeah. yeah. And I think the, the other thing that was interesting, just when we were briefly at PINS, free plug, if you're in Columbus, Ohio, and looking for some quality brews and Hot some spot. great games, <laughs> check out Pins. Um, but, uh, That'll yeah, be $10. The, <laughs> <laughs> that is the level of sponsorship we get generally. Um, but I know uh, the other thing you were talking about that I thought was interesting was just Obviously, you're in urban planning, and urban planning is something that requires really holistically thinking about everything and then also atomistically examining each of the parts and sort of dancing between those two points of view. Mm -hmm. But it seems like in the world of urban planning that that's not how things operate. The, mix, the, the mental arts are not mixed. Not so much, no. So there's, there's a saying about planners is that uh, we... We're a discipline that knows a little bit about everything because you obviously have to. If you're going to plan a city, you need to know how all the intermixed parts play together and work together. You know, you need to know about your transit systems. You need to know about your housing. You need to know about food systems and, you know, retail economies. You need to know about a wide range of things and how they intermix. And um, unfortunately, at least from my education, which, you know, I really appreciate the education. I think it gave me a good toolbox to kind of work with. Um, but the emphasis in a lot of planning schools now is on mostly social issues. And um, while that's, you know, that's one component of planning, you need to know that it's, it's almost turning the discipline into a, um, you know, it's very much on the, the side of social justice. You are, you are planning to be inclusive, which again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but if you're doing that to the sole exclusion of other parts of the discipline that you should be focusing on as well, you know, it kind of can leave leave it wanting a bit. And in the end, you know, this kind of, I think in the long run has given people a somewhat negative view of planners because they, you know, 
this idea about nimbyism you guys were talking about before um in planning, we call it nimbyism. It's not in my backyard. And everybody wants something. They want mental health facilities for people. They want, uh, you know, hospitals. They want everything else. But if you're going to put it behind my house, I don't want mentally unwell people walking down my street. A perfect example, I went to a planning meeting in, when I was in school. I went to a planning meeting in Westerville. And Westerville has an, a corridor off Cleveland Avenue that they're really focusing on building in a lot of medical office space. And that's what they've zoned the area for medical office. And um, their their goal is to have a lot of small medical office facilities there, but also, um, in some cases, you know, outpatient facilities. And one of the facilities that was proposed to go in there was a self-check-in uh, mental wellness center. And I went to this planning meeting. And most people at the meeting didn't really have an opinion about it, but there were two residents there. One of them lived uh, maybe, I don't know, 300 yards down the street, all the way on the other side, like the south side of the intersection, so not really close to it at all. And came with a tear-filled, emotional, prepared statement saying why they could not locate that there because they would fear for the safety of their family of mentally unwell being uh, mentally unwell people being within 300 yards of their house who have gone there on their own volition to check themselves in to better themselves and that that difference of this idea of like well I want them to get help but not here do it somewhere else <laughs> and that's that's something that they that planning has to fight all the time is this idea of you know not my backyard I want it's people don't have skin in the game Right. And it's it's this idea of being a, you know, a keyboard warrior, right? You're on Facebook and you can spout about how everyone has to be accepting accepting and tolerant of everyone. But then when it comes on you and you're in a social situation and somebody calls out someone, you know, starts using slurs against someone, are you gonna be the first person to step in there and put your own, you know, what you would perceive to be your own health at risk by maybe stepping in to stop a fight? Are you going to do that? And most people know. A lot of times they have that bystander syndrome of like, oh, someone else will do something. So, I mean, that's a really long-winded response. But yeah, it's it's something that, you know, in planning, I've, I've seen there's a disconnect there. There's so many other factors that go into a city. You know, a city is a function of an economy. There's so many pieces that go into an economy. Why do people move from places? Why do people move to places? Why does someone decide to start a business versus, you know, why would I start one in Columbus versus in... Des Moines or Detroit or Detroit, which, by the way, lots of great opportunity there. Yeah. And by the way, this is, you know, I think that that education that I received, I see things in a very, you know, um, optimistic light. You know, I see places like Detroit and for so long I've gone there. It's always been so vacant, but you see opportunity there. You see these old buildings. You imagine what it was like when it's heyday and you're just thinking, like, think of all how great this was. But at the same time, you know what it could be even now. And, um, yeah, no, it's just, it's kind of a challenge. It's, it's tough to, you know, I got, I was in academia. I wanted to write a thesis on some of these economic issues and I could not find a professor that was willing to sponsor my thesis because, uh, it was not, you know, it wasn't a social function of planning and that was not their specialty and they didn't feel comfortable with me writing something like that. And that was, you know, it sucked because I wanted to be able to do that and I'm just being dismissed and saying, no, go take a comprehensive exam and you're fine. Well, and I think, you know, to Alex's point, like so much of what's so great about podcasting and about the Internet in general is, is that, you know, you find out that you're sending up flares and that, you know, people will hear that and they will come and they'll be like, hey, 
I've had the same experience. I've had the same thoughts. So I think even just you sharing that, there will be other people that are out there. But ultimately, you know, the point of mixed mental arts is to really evolve a comprehensive playbook and worldview. This is part of what, you know, Drew and I were talking about in Detroit with Derek and Chris and Danielle and the whole crew was, you know, what is the playbook for how you revitalize communities? Um, and, you know, I think that there's a whole bunch of aspects to that. Obviously, there's education, there's food, there's health, uh, there's, you know, housing. infrastructure, housing, there's cultures. A lot of these cultures need a reboot and need to, you know, be updated to the 21st century. And, you know, that's going to take a lot of different people with a lot of different experience and a lot of different insight, really, instead of ganging up on each other, ganging up on the problem. Yeah, and the, the insight from from you know the government for the longest time up until you know the 80s and 90s that's how you ended up with a lot of housing projects the idea was we have people that need housing all right let's build housing and put them all in one spot let's, let's put them in Meriden, Connecticut yeah and you end up with these you end up with these huge housing developments that just concentrate poverty and concentrate these cultures of poverty and you end up with developments like Cabrini Green in Chicago that was notoriously a terrible place for crime because you know, it didn't, they didn't give them any opportunity. So I work, I currently work in the field of community development. And the idea is that, um, we like to say that, you know, across all cultures, no matter where you've been, I've been to, I've traveled to Ghana and met a lot of people. I was in rural Ghana and no matter where you go, there are two things that are always going to be true for any individual is you have aspiration and opportunity, right? So everybody aspires for something. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a rapper. I want to be a pro football player. I want to I want to be an accountant. Whatever it comes up to is, you know, you have an aspiration to do something, but whether or not you have the opportunity or the resources to achieve that goal is really the biggest thing. So community development is entirely about trying to create opportunities and, you know, part of it's creating a culture of opportunity, if you will, um, to help people kind of achieve those aspirations and kind of complete that little piece there. But... Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the big things that, at least from my life experiences, you know, I've, I've met a lot of different people and people everywhere have aspirations, but the big question is whether or not they have opportunities to, to achieve those aspirations. And that's well, usually the disconnect. And that's, I mean, you know, in the Middle East, that's the big thing is that yeah. people don't have a good path to dignity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you don't provide people with a good path to dignity, they find other opportunities. Uh, Freeway Rick Ross, when we had him back on the show, like smart guy. You know, got good at tennis, got a scholarship to go play tennis at college, couldn't read and write, so he didn't go to college. Instead, he popularized crack cocaine. Um, and, you know, that's that's the nature of humans. Humans are resourceful in some way, and it's just whether they're gaming a broken system or working around a system that doesn't include them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the point is to provide people good opportunity, good paths to dignity um, so that they can have success in pro-social ways yeah and you know that can be viewed negatively by some people you know oh, it's it's government handouts is this and that and i think that's that's the disconnect not understanding the context of some individuals that you know grow up in an impoverished neighborhood where you know i've been i visited a lot of communities around the state and i heard stories about uh kids that were at schools that um, this was in Dayton. A kid was coming into school. And he was really smart, participated in class a lot, and he was very sharp when he was in class. But he never did his homework, so his grades suffered. 
And his teacher, uh, fortunately, the school was very involved with their students. And his teacher asked him, like, why, why aren't you doing your homework? And he said, well, you know, I, I just, I can't. And he never really opened up about it. And one day she asked if she could take him home from school one day just to kind of get a glimpse into his home life and see what was going on. Apparently, she had found out after doing this a few more times and driving with him in the car, and he started to open up and trust her a little bit more. She found out that um, he was fending for himself. This is like a third grader. He was fending for himself. By the time he got home, he had to make food for himself because his mother was working two jobs, and his dad was uh, an alcoholic who almost never left the bedroom upstairs and never greeted him or anything, just never did anything. So, you know, his mom would be working, and his dad would never essentially acknowledges existence. And then on top of that, not only is he trying to make food for himself, but he has to sit in the kitchen and he always sat with a baseball bat near his door because people were constantly like that often trying to break into his house to collect debt from his dad. So here's a third grader who's like, <laughs> why aren't you doing your homework? Well, you know, last night I had to fight off this guy. I was trying to come collect debt from my dad. Like, you know, it's 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 very different. And obviously, you know, given a better opportunity, a safer housing situation, for instance, and some support so that his mom doesn't have to work two jobs and can be with him or be there for him when he's home will provide a much more stable life for him to, you know, achieve opportunity. And yeah, I mean, it's just you hear about these stories and you don't really consider what's the context behind that because it might be clouded by my own my own culture, my own experience, right? Or so, my own ideology. Yeah, that would be a good way to put it. <laughs> well, and that's the point is, is that, you know, you tell me that story and if I have an ideology that can't incorporate something like that, then I get super triggered and then, you know, get super defensive and that fast reactive thinking takes over. Yeah, that's that's what I see with mixed mental arts is that, you know, that slow thinking. I want to encourage that and I want to spread that to more people so that that fast reactive thinking doesn't take over and it doesn't immediately turn into a political battle of some sort where there's no side to be won. <laughs> I'm going to answer for James. I like mixed mental arts because it has all the people that are cooler than Drew Sample that I can have on. <laughs> yeah, I'm only daddy. So I'm up. Um, I, I'll take it. Um, I came to mixed mental arts just through the Brian Callen show before you were on and then you started kind of popping on intermittently and you made it way more interesting and uh it was, it was this stuff. is blasphemy i mean i know that we just talked about slow thinking but fuck fuck you <laughs> really hey i'm a fan of brian but uh but yeah so it just got it got to be on my regular list of things to listen to and i just like exploring big ideas i like breaking things down systematically i'm a restaurant guy i run multiple restaurants i have to have systems Systems are what I do. So I can take a big idea and break it down into little pieces. If somebody else can do that, that's even more fun. I just get to listen. And uh, I need more of that. You know, moving forward, that's all I want to see out of, of this, this whole situation. I see, I see a lot of really cool people engaging on the Facebook group. Um, it is a job to keep up with that Facebook group. Uh, you, get, you get one good post and it's going to have 50 comments by the time you get to it and uh, now you've got a job for the rest of the night to keep up with it but if it's something that's interesting absolutely dig in you're going to see all every side of every uh argument or or just the, the different ideas around that idea and a bunch of smart people engaging and with the occasional troll and uh and i, th I think those get handled well 
Um, but yeah, it's just been a fascinating journey to watch this thing grow. And I think it's growing really, really fast. And uh, I think you guys have something on your hands here that can be beneficial to to, uh, to everybody involved that wants to put in some effort and time and, and, and do this. I think we is the only word that I would change in that because the reality is that I think the great power and opportunity of the Internet is is that, you know, I mean, Marsh McLuhan, who I adore, you know, he said the medium is the message. And the medium of television, the message is there are certain people who have a voice that matters and they are the talking heads and everybody else should just sort of listen and absorb. And the medium of the Internet, the message is everyone gets a voice, everyone gets to speak, and then we all hash out our problems together. And the technology is there. The culture and the intuitions have not caught up. And I think part of what is exciting about the Mixed Mental Arts Facebook group is is that you're starting, you've, you've attracted a group of people who sort of are already game for that, and then they are starting to evolve towards what that culture will be. Um, and that is really, I mean, it's, you know, the, the promise of the Internet has always been that it would be the ultimate town hall. And, uh, you know, that's, that's part of our job is just to help usher humanity into a forum and an environment where we're all having these conversations. We can meet up online and we can meet up offline like this and then, you know, mix the two by then, you know, sharing Drew Sample's thoughts with the world and, you know, just riffing off them. I listen, I, you know, for, I think what you guys don't realize is for the last 24 hours, Drew Sample has done nothing but make fun of my wardrobe, my hugging and every other, my reality TV show appearances. And so, you know, it's nice to finally have something to get Drew back on. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, some people think I'm cool, just not James Miller. <laughs> That's that's pretty much it. Uh, Nate, you want to go? All right. Um, so I remember Adam Hansen at the very first Columbus MMA meetup, which I believe was the very first meetup for the MMA community. Yep. He in, po- the world. in the world. In the world. Adam Hansen posed like this, a similar question like that. And I remember he looked at me, and then all of a sudden we all just started leaving. And I, I was like, Whew, I don't have to give an answer because I – no, actually, what happened was David answered first, and David, I love him. He has a lot to say, a lot of good things to say, and a lot of good ideas, and I was so glad he took the torch from me, so I didn't have to speak. That's what that was <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought about it, like, well, what do I want to get out of the MMA community, what can I give back to the MMA community, and ever since I joined the community, I still... I've, been pondering this question and i actually a little side note i actually had heard of hunter before i heard of the emperor solely because you were on the order jordan interviewed you for art of charm oh, way back when so that is how i heard of you and plug into the aoc community i went through the boot camp amazing experience but that's neither here nor there um, uh, no, I think it is here, and I should mean, should have been part of your cultural confessional. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I'm. I think that's part of the thing is is that you know, I mean, I'm asking, what do you hope to get out of the mixed mental arts mm-hmm. community? But there's like a whole bunch of these communities, obviously, yeah. and part of the job now is to have them connect up, cross pollinate, share their their best bits, and you know, 
We have, you know, I mean, Alex amazingly has never listened to Mixed Bundle Arts. He's only, you know, tight with Thad Russell. I've only listened to like two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> One I was on. No, I'm just teasing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously Brett from the School Sucks Project, Jordan from Art of Charm, and, uh, you know, Chris Ryan from mm-hmm. Tangentially Speaking. And so the opportunity now is to start, you know, connecting up all these communities. And then I think also we're going to start to see a lot of, and this is part of what, I want to do is encourage new voices, right? And encourage some voices that have been out there, like encourage the sample hour, encourage the coolest humans until they have Drew Sample on. And then, you know, I'm cutting my support. Um, and he's, then, he's not here right now. Yeah. Um, and then also just, you know, I mean, there are a lot of other, like Derek Shinska is thinking about doing a podcast and really anybody who wants to do a podcast, I mean, I think that's the whole point. Like, let a thousand flowers bloom and see what happens. But That didn't end so well in China, though. It did not end so well <laughs> in China, but I think it'll work out much better for podcasting. Yeah, um, let's hope. <laughs> but anyway, so I think that's the point, is, is that Jordan already has a great community, and anything we can support do to support Jordan and support his podcast, mm-hmm. like, let's do that, because the point is, let's get these ideas moving. Yeah, I do. I remember I post to the MMA groups, like, hey, you, you just interviewed Jordan. Let's get Jonathan Haidt on this podcast. And I asked the AOC community, hey, how can we get Jonathan Haidt on the podcast? Because he has amazing things to say about thinking and feeling. And unfortunately, I learned that they tried. But Jonathan Haidt is, uh, I think, since his uh, foray with Emperor Callan, he's really moved on in the world. So he's <laughs> <laughs> hard to get a hold of, apparently. Um, but then what eventually just drew me to the MMA community is as david said i'm very curious and i remember in karate of all things like when i was 10 years old i heard a very fascinating parable that stuck with me ever since and i'm I'm sure most of you guys have probably heard this parable about the zen master and the teacup where a student comes he's like i want to learn zen buddhism from you i know this 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 and he starts going off on what he knows meanwhile the master's pouring this cup of tea nodding and smiling. He just keeps pouring the cup. Eventually, the cup is overflowing. Student keeps talking, but he notices oh, this cup is full. What's what's going on here? And then event- finally, he asks the master, it, the cup is full. Why are you still pouring? And the master says, well, your mind is full, so what can I possibly teach you? Empty your cup, learn, whatever. And that's, I butchered the story, but that's kind of how I see myself in the world as I Everyone, everyone in this room, everyone in the MMA community, everyone I meet on the street has something, an experience, their own cultural confession that I can learn from. And that's what I try and do. I just try and learn as much as I can. What I will do with what I learn, I have no idea. But what I've been doing in the past, like I just, like I remember talking with Dave, was like, hey, he likes talking things. He knows, he has good ideas. I forcefully invited him into the MMA community without his knowledge or consent, and he seemed to enjoy it. He did. <laughs> and then, um, but whenever it comes up, like just with friends and other people I meet, I love to read. And if someone starts talking about some subject, they're just like, hey, have you checked out this book by this author? They might have some ideas that follow what you're looking for. And. That's pretty much it. Um. And that's and that's really, I mean, that's the thing. It's all going to take just a lot of conversations and like breaking down, packaging, sharing, moving those ideas between whatever communities, wherever we can. Um, 
But so how long have you two known each other? We went to high school together. Uh, and what was funny, his last name is Faust, F-O-U-S-T. My last name is Foreman, F-O-U-R. So we pretty much just sat next to each other in every single class. And we bonded in St. Charles, but we really didn't come become as close as we were until I moved back from our, my a, horrible that's mistake. That's an all-boys Catholic school. <laughs> yes. Look out for us. We're going to come get the <laughs> <laughs> Who else here? You survived Catholicism, didn't you? Yeah, I survived Catholicism. Yeah, uh, I did yeah, too. Yeah, I... I went to Catholic school in kindergarten. I had some bitch teacher. And uh, that didn't work out too well. Then I went to the public school. And uh, that, it was a crappy public school. Did you go to Catholic school too? I did go to Catholic school. Jesus. Yeah. There's a lot of papists in this room. You know? <laughs> Questionable you, loyalties. You, That's what I'm going to say. He's definitely Catholic. No, he no, wasn't I Catholic. Was, he was I Baptist. was raised, raised Baptist. You were raised ba- oh, Jeremy was Baptist. Jeremy was raised Baptist. Baptist hate Catholic. Yeah, yeah, I was raised strictly because we Baptist. drink and have fun, and we don't believe the Bible's a literal translation. But we do believe in cannibalism. Yes, with yes. The Eucharist. Yep. So what sets us aside is we actually eat the blood of, eat and drink Christ every Sunday, and drink that awful goddamn wine. Is that, that why we're moving the meetings to Sunday? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Backwash, filled with backwash and breadcrumbs. Fermented backwash. Jeremy. Yes. What are you looking for? You're the heart and soul of Columbus um, MMA. My uh, journey, I guess you could say, to this community started about six years ago, actually, when I was deployed. And I was in Afghanistan in a compound about the size of this room. And um, I really didn't have much to do, but kind of we were there with the local national police force uh helping to train them so i started talking to them um try to learn a little bit of the dari um you know ate food with them try to just get to know them a little better because it just seemed like most of the guys there just weren't into that so i was like well i don't have anything else to do Um, i actually got some handmade clothing um, from a local tailor there the whole afghani uh, garb it was really cool and then when i got out i moved to germany and it was the same thing there where a lot of uh, a lot of the military that get stationed overseas, they don't really go outside the base much. And so I started learning German, uh, speaking to the local nationals that were there, um, just enjoying, like, experiencing new things. And when I got into Germany, it was the you know, first time I really was around my son because he was born while I was, you know, training and then deployed and stuff. And then I started to realize, like, I'm responsible for crafting you know this you know baby to grow up and to be a productive person in society so i started really uh looking hard into the way i was thinking about things and started becoming a lot more rational um a lot more analytical thinking and then when i got out i uh started listening to podcasts because i now have a two-hour drive between going to work and back so i listen to podcasts two hours a day every day um, and I started on the listening to Rogan and then I, he had this manly man guest on one time and I was just like, this is a true man. Like, who is this? And I looked at the guest list and it was Brian Callen and I was like, I've got to know more. And, um, 
This is the kind of talk that we really like on Mixed Up Live. <laughs> <laughs> Stick it to the orthodoxy. <laughs> so I uh, he had a plug at the end of the episode, and I downloaded it. And it was kind of at the time where uh, Hunter was uh, coming in more into the fold. And I just really liked the ideas that were being talked about and spread and just the the, the way the conversations were and the guests that were on there and the book list was out there. When it finally came out, I was like, holy crap. Like, Because I listen to all these podcasts about these books, and I'm like, where can I find this list? Like, It doesn't exist. And uh, I, I, I really like online communities because it's easier for people to be themselves, I feel like. And so when the MMA community kind of started, I thought it was kind of cool. And then locally, we had the Columbus chapter here. Um, and so that's what really brought me here was just the, the conversations that were being, uh, you know, going on and uh, meeting the like-minded people who thought the same and who weren't um, scared to, you know, talk about their feelings or, you know, just try to feelings feelings that all all credit for that by the way goes to katie o'brien <laughs> and like by the way i was her patient zero because the point is, is that coming from the culture of science yeah like, we did not talk about our feelings and so she just basically annoyed the shit out of me with that until i was like all right yeah like fine i've read the science like i admit i read descartes error like that was the point was for a lot of that list is me like i had to read that much science to finally be like, fuck, I'm emotional all the time. Right. Like, there's no way yeah. to avoid this conclusion. And the point is, is I don't think that most people are going to be as obtuse as I was. So I don't think that most people have to read all the books that I did. I was like, such a fancy man using the word obtuse. Yeah. Obtuse? <laughs> no, it's actually, I love that word mostly because of Shawshank. It's like yeah. the best use of the word obtuse. Handy Dufresne. <laughs> did you know the Shawshank tree is in Ohio? I did not know. That prison is in Ohio. That's interesting. (laughs) Where is it? It's off of Possum Run Road, I believe, in uh, just east of Mansfield, uh, near Route 13. That's not far away. It's not far. It's like 45 minutes away. It was struck by lightning a few years ago, and uh, it actually fell over, I think, this past summer, and it has since been chopped up and taken away. So now there's a sign out there that says, this was the this was the, the <laughs> I've actually been to the prison. Um, they turn it into a haunted house every yeah. Halloween. Yeah. It's a haunted house now. So for the uh, community, to wrap back on that, um, <laughs> I, I'll, lose, for the trivia, I'll, I'll lose my train of thought. <laughs> but I think we've hit on the, the key point, for me at least, is... Um, sharing ideas with other communities that could potentially benefit or uh, help the community grow. I think that's pretty big because there's a lot of smaller communities out there, some that are larger, that have the same kind of people that we're trying to attract. Um, that will help spread these ideas, and eventually it leads into your everyday conversation that you have with someone at work that could possibly you know, open their eyes you know, from their normal like confirmation bias that's going on to realize, hey, let me look at things in a different light. And I think that's what will help the community grow the most. Rich, you've never been in the community. Rich is a huge fan of uh, mixed metal arts yeah. because we have a lot of the we same thoughts reality on TV reality TV and Sam Harris. <laughs> Friend of the show, Sam Harris. Yeah, sadly, I... I this is all new to me. I'm trying to figure out exactly what's going on here. Um, 
So Thank you for that. <laughs> well, so when Rich first moved here, I was going to, it was like our second event and Rich was moving in. He's like, man, it sounds cool and all. Cause I think you'd heard, I had Hunter on and I think you heard the group podcast, um, that, that we all did, but. Well, this idea of, I guess, just people with different ideas coming together to just talk yeah. about them. And, um, you know, we had the discussion that I never assume I'm correct. Yeah. You know, I just have to look at my own history to see how many times I've been wrong. Um, you know, I came out of a very serious religious background um, and, and explored, you know, my way through various religions up to and including uh, my flirting with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, so Javos. I've been so wrong. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this is uh, I think this is great. I think we, what'd you call it, uh, idea sex? Yeah, <laughs> you're talking the talk, man. Yeah, idea I think the sex. official word is kintsugi. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. There's a lot of jargon. That's what like all cults. There's lots and lots of jargon. Mental masturbation. <laughs> that's a lot of it. Uh, yeah. I, I, are you done? Is, I, <laughs> I'm good. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I found mixed mental arts because I heard Hunter on Rogan. I thought about thought about listening to Brian Callen's show, but I just I, I don't know. I just never really I never really tried. And then I heard Hunter on, and I thought he was funny because he was he was trolling about anarcho capitalists and they can get pretty fucking annoying. And it's like, even though like I'm in the Liberty very much so would identify as a libertarian anarchist or contrarian, whatever it is. And, um, but I mean, just like what me and rich talk about, like, you know, there's, I mean, it, nothing is ever clean cut. Like you can't be a hard line about that. Like, it's just, it's, there's always more to unwrap. And, you know, I went to the Jackal freedom festival and there's a lot of great people there, but there's a lot of people there that were just, parroting stuff they heard Stefan Molyneux say and it just was so annoying it's like why don't we talk about the other things that we're interested in and I found some really cool people out of San Diego that uh, a group that Res Bertrand has, had started up and I really connected with them and uh, and then from there like was just like you know like I was starting to find my tribe personally and then um, I'd already been doing you know, comedy show promotions for like uh, death squad shows and um, it had been moving on to like uh, permaculture and, and farming and small scale farming. There was a lot of liberty minded people there and people that I shared values with. And then I heard Hunter on and um, I invited him on the podcast. Him and I talked for about an hour and a half and respected what he was doing and i i still thought it was called the brian callen show and he was like no we, we just changed the name to mixed mental arts it's no longer the brian callen show i was like okay cool so i was excited because there's a brand change and i was like well let's help let's help build this brand so i joined the group and started uh i i don't know i didn't really start i mean i was i hadn't the season hadn't started so i was kind of contributing to the group and then um, had to get out because Rich moved in and life was getting real. Unemployment ran out. And uh, then, you know, man, for me, it's always been about building communities and like 
ground up in, you know, ground up innovation, which is us all sitting in a room and actually meeting in real life. So, I mean, one thing that we all said was, you know, we we're all excited um, when we thought Hunter might come to the first event. He really wanted to, but he, he actually had to work. And I was surprised because I thought he was, you know, I knew he was on that reality show and just assumed he was rich because he went to Harvard. And it turned out that wasn't the case. And I was all bummed out, but it's still, you know, but so I said, guys, why don't we just start meeting, you know, once a month. So if we can, we start meeting the same time every month, Hunter can actually plan it to come out here. And then uh, I was laying, I don't know, I was just laying in bed one time and like just the thought hit my head like, man, I should really introduce Hunter to Brett. Like that would be a really interesting, you know, content merger. And I think it helped Brett and it'd probably help Hunter. And then he did, and they both really, it was a good show. It was like three hours long, and it was just those two talking and discussing different ideas. And um, I thought it was a good show. And then I kept pushing for Hunter to get Thad on, and Thad was big-timing him a bit, and he wouldn't respond to Hunter. And then he tried again, and Thad responded, and then you guys had a good show. And um, that's like a that's like an inside joke for me, just saying big-timing, because Thad's a busy guy. So, But... Uh, um, yeah, so I mean that's 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 what I get out of it. I mean, I, I I went away from the group and it looked like it doubled in size and shared like finally started recording a podcast again and kind of was proud because I like had been put my nose to the grindstone and kind of shared how I escaped the rat race. And then uh, Billy Bob Thornton accused me of being spam and and then we got that all cleared up and uh, and you know can you I'm, tell that story? That's so this guy, so I, I shared this link. This guy, Chris Stefanik, he hosts uh, Choice Conversations, and it used to be called Two Beers with Steve. And Steve was this guy. Steve, uh, it was like years ago. He started recording a podcast like two thousand eight. And when I was like younger, when I was twenty two, um, I started reading books about the Federal Reserve because I, I watched this movie from Proven to Fascism, and it was this guy Aaron Russo, and he was just talking about how the Federal Reserve was. You know, it wasn't actually a government institution, and it was talking. It interviewed Erwin Schiff a lot, and talked about how it's actually illegal for them to charge you taxes, but they do it anyways. And it was just all these different concepts. It was the first time I was introduced to Ron Paul, and I think it was twenty two. It was right before two thousand eight, the two thousand eight election, and so it was in two thousand seven. And then um, I started reading like the Creature from Jekyll Island. I read The Web of Debt, and she was predicting the the crash, the housing bubble crash. And, um, and Steve Patterson was doing, it was, there's two Steve Patterson's, Brett has another Steve Patterson on, but this guy, he's totally out of podcasting. So that Steve Patterson's pretty interesting too. And, um, so Steve was like back then it was before it was called peak prosperity, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with peak prosperity, but it's Chris Martinson's website and Steve, it was called chrismartinson.com. And Steve was kind of like interacting with that forum back in 2007, 2008. And um, so I was a fan of that show and I linked up with this guy, Chris Stefanik. And Chris came out and stayed here uh, with Rich and I and we hung out and we I'd done a few shows with him before and he saw everything and he's like, you know, we should really do a show about how you got out of the rat race and how you're like living your life now, you know, based on your values. So that's what I did. So I was all excited to share it with the community because I was like, you know, I want to contribute to the community. I had, uh, you know, shared other stuff and connect with Hunter. And this guy, I think his name is James Bakersfield. I guess he'd gotten more involved after I'd stopped being involved in the group as much because I was farming. 
So he just goes, spam. And I said, hey, Billy Bob Thornton, that really hurts my feelings. I was just trying to share my experiences and what I've learned from my hard work. I remember saying that. And I don't appreciate you calling me spam. And then I said, Hunter, do you think I'm spam? And I just went on this big tirade. And he's in England or something, so he couldn't respond. So I just had to have blown up his inbox of calling him Billy Bob Thornton a bunch of times. And I told him if he was going to create a fake account, he should really not use celebrity photos and all this stuff because he kind of looks like Billy Bob Thornton. And then he and then he apologized to me, and I apologized. And I said, I'm sorry, you just really hurt my feelings. And I didn't know how to respond, so I just decided it was that so I just went on this huge, silly tirade of silliness. And I think him and I are cool now. I've shot him out a bunch, but I hope people just call him Billy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so that's it. I mean, so one thing was Hunter was coming into town, and um, I hadn't really thought of it, again, because most of the time I'm trying to figure out how to pay my bills, and I'm trying to figure out how, like, me and Rich could keep this dream working. And then it just kind of hit me because the season's dying down. The farmer's markets are almost done. I was like, uh, i got to go up to Detroit. And then it, I think I messaged Hunter on Wednesday. And I think it was the same time I messaged you and Jeremy, and I, or Nate and Jeremy. And I was like, hey, Hunter, uh, I had this weird idea of that I would go up there and we could hang out in Dearborn and eat some good food and smoke the hookah. And then uh, we could do the Detroit MMA meetup, and then we could come down and do a Columbus one because you need to come to Columbus anyways. And I was like, it's probably a bad idea, though, because that means we're going to be in the car for like six hours, which means I'm going to be in the car for like 12 hours. <laughs> and then uh, Hunter was like, uh, yeah, I love that idea. Let's do it. I need a proper visit to Columbus. So then I hit you guys up because it's like, you know, this is what – it's all about like because if people see us doing this and other people are going to want to do this people are going to say okay well these people are meeting up and they're meeting up and then brett vinat you know he's doing that event and because hunter was talking to thad so they're all kind of getting on the same page and so i was like you know brett um i really want you to come out here and do a meetup you know the mma guys meet up and you know their school sucks guys and that's why i found out alex was here and i was like well thanks brett for telling me now but uh, <laughs> that's because Dad was still crying so hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he couldn't even like with that so many tears, like he couldn't but, really I mean, see the keyboard to even type. But it's it's it is powerful to see young guys that didn't have the information that have information that we didn't have when we were coming up, right? That are just a little bit younger than us, you know, like Alex. And so I think so. The idea is for you know, so when Brett can come here, we can do a big thing in Columbus again. Because, uh, you know, I think that's that's always the thing. Like, it was Death Squad Ohio, and then we had our Ohio GSD crew, which was, like, a big thing with our permaculture homesteading shit. And then, you know, and now we're doing Columbus MMA. So it's like, yeah, let's do it with School Sucks, too. Like, we're all kind of in the same idea of let's change the current culture. Let's do it through, but we do it, you know, in living rooms. We do it through conversations. We do it through interacting with like-minded people and then you keep it going and then eventually hunter can get on live internet stream and he can burn his harvard degree and thad can burn his phd and all that stuff and and that's going to be a lot more powerful than bra burning so and i'm not even just or you know or anything else i'm not just trying to say like bra burners or anything like that what i'm saying is it's a symbol because you're you're standing up against we got you we understand the government institutions so 
<laughs> you really did. Yeah. Yeah, dude. No wonder you're single. No. <laughs> I thought I thought it was you my and, cat. You and Rich just spooning at night. I mean, like <laughs> <laughs> honey, that was supposed to be a secret in the car. <laughs> well, listen. I mean, Drew, you sold your place. I mean, you know, and then apparently, like, if I sleep on the couch, I get your incestuous cats fucking on me. <laughs> They're all fixed. But yeah, man. <laughs> After the sun knocked the mother off, I would hope you would get the fix. Yeah, well, so what happens is with cats is you can't get them fixed when they're nursing. And they, I still had kittens, but what can happen is is that they can get pregnant. And then so I got, as soon as she had babies, it, it, was, it was challenging to catch. I don't, I'm not going to justify this. What? <laughs> Listen, right. I rescued these cat cats. But yeah. well, actually, we are. But you yeah, know. yeah. So, but that's um, that's what I get out of the community. Like, I think, uh, I think for me, it's always about bringing people together. It's all about us. Uh, you know, it, we're humans are a lot more powerful when we're in numbers. And I think you know, me and Hunter was talk. We're talking about on the way up. Like humans are pretty stupid on their own, but when they work with each other, we're pretty incredible. So that's all I got, man. That was pretty amazing. I mean, I kind of feel like maybe James might want to bump you up that list. Maybe. 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 If the Donato's guy falls out. (laughs) You're going to be the first guest on the Average Humans podcast. (laughs) That's what it should probably be changed to. The Not That Cool Humans. Well, I think we can wrap it up, man. I know uh, James has got to drive two hours home. David was passing out over me when he was <laughs> listening to me talk. Um, I have to get a, hair, a free haircut tomorrow at eight fifteen. I get to watch him have a free haircut. That's true, because I'm on a I'm a hair model, and uh, that's how I get free haircuts. And I have to be punctual, and I have to say yes when they offer. And I'm not paying twenty dollars a goddamn haircut, and people always fuck my hair up. So. That's all I got, guys. So, uh, Hunter, I don't know how you want to wrap this up because it's going in your feed, too, and people had to listen to me talk. So, uh, I think the main thing that I want to say is, is that, you know, um, you know, I'll, one thing that we talked about on the way down is, is that, you know, within a tribe of 150, like, you know, everybody talks, everybody gets a voice and all of that. And I feel like humanity has been waiting a very long time to be able to have the tools to do that at a mass scale society level. And finally, those tools are here. And it's exciting that, you know, Brian and I can just sort of be pursuing the things that interest us in L.A., having no real idea of who is listening. And that, you know, now I can be here in Columbus meeting up with a random group of guys from all over the world who, um, you know, are also seekers. And that's, I think, the core, like, you know, DNA, cultural DNA of this group is, is that we're all on the hunt. We're all looking for things. And, uh, you know, to your point, Drew, like, uh, when you have a hunting party, you're going to go much, much further. And so I'll just end it with the old African saying that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so for a long time we went alone and now it's exciting to be able to go together. And I think that together we'll go really, really far.